What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here with another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. On this week's episode, we're sitting down with a good friend of mine, John Early, and we're going to be talking all about the 2022 National Tournament and the news that came out regarding the venue and the schedule and all of that. So we'll go over that. We'll also talk about some of our experiences, me having my first experience at Nationals last year and John with a wealth of experience about it. We'll also talk about GOC Phase 1 printer updates. Also, new starter packaging along with six IAJ Plus cards. So we'll get right into it. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for joining on another episode of The Threshing Floor. John Hendricks here, and this week's episode guest is John Early. How you doing, John? I'm doing fantastic, John. Thanks for having me on again. And now that you've been on, we kind of skipped through the uh, the background here. That's good, because I'm pretty boring. Nobody wants to hear about me. Yeah. They'd much rather hear about your podcast host, co-host. Jay Chambers, absolutely. We can talk about him all night. Um, so this week's episode, obviously... If you've been keeping up with the world of redemption, last week's episode, I was talking to Chris as we went through the news items and just talked about how much news is coming out right now to where like the news cycles is really, it's really busy right now. And then this week we had information about nationals for this tournament season come out. It's going to be in Iowa. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk all about that. We're going to talk about the promos. We're going to talk about the side events that have been mentioned. We're also going to talk about a big update that actually came out this morning. Rob Anderson, the owner of Cactus Game Design, gave an update about, um, I guess, cards from the printer. It wasn't just GOC Phase 1, but it was mostly about that. But then also something that turned into us taking a bunch of random stabs at a card and probably looking like as clueless as we could because we didn't pick up on any hints for this card. Um, I had a really good time with that. I was, uh, Chris and I really, we were both sitting there and we were texting each other back and forth the whole time that you guys were trying to guess. And we were, we were having a good time watching you guys uh, flail around a little bit. I'm pretty ashamed that it took, that I was involved and it took that long. So I'm sorry I let everyone down. Um, In fairness, it wasn't art related. So, I mean. Yeah, but I mean, you could could have taken a couple of guesses like it wasn't that long ago that you guys talked about these three cards that you know didn't quite fit into GOC and we could have at least thrown those three card titles out but um anyway so we've got I and J plus cards there's six additional cards that are going to come out with new packaging for the I and J starter deck so we'll get into all of that and if we have a little bit of time we might talk about the new podcast project that John and Jay are um spearheading there with thoughts from Portland. So I guess we'll just get right into it and start talking about some overview of nationals for people that maybe don't have much experience with that or haven't been to a nationals. Last year was actually my first nationals, so I don't have a wealth of knowledge about what to expect or whatnot. I did have a blast last year. Um, But what would you say, um, John, is an overall, how would you describe an overall experience of what Nationals is like for someone that maybe hasn't gone to one? Sure. For someone that hasn't gone to one, it's a little different. If you just ask me what Nationals experience is like overall in general, I would tell you it's like a big family reunion. Most of us that attend have attended a few Nationals, 
and we all know each other. We're all excited to see each other. Most of us only see each other once a year at this tournament. Some of us, you know, run into each other at regionals and states and things like that. And then obviously your own play group members, you know, you know those guys. But at nationals, it really truly is like a big family reunion. I'm not really qualified, I guess, to talk about you know, the first time perspective, because frankly, my first nationals was in 2003 and I don't really, I mean, that was almost 10 years ago. I don't really remember it very well. You know, it was, I was 13. It was a family vacation that we took, uh, in, I mean, in part so that I could go to nationals and in part because nationals that year was in Pittsburgh and I was actually born in Pennsylvania. That's where, you know, I spent the first few years of my life where my parents, uh, were from. And so it was kind of an opportunity for them to take a family vacation and show us, you know, where we lived at and stuff like that. And, you know, things around town and just kind of catch up with their friends that they had left behind when we moved and stuff like that. So, you know, it was, it was interesting for me for sure at my first one, but, you know, even as, a quote-unquote newcomer if this is your first nationals that you'll go to you will get a family level experience we are a very open welcoming community i mean honestly john you should talk a little bit about your experience last year because you had been around and it was your first nationals but you've been in the game for a couple of years and enough people kind of knew who you were or you were friends with maybe the right people to where i feel like you know it was the first time you and i have met and we hung out quite a bit that weekend and you know i feel like we did a pretty good job of welcoming you to the scene so maybe you should talk for a little bit about you know first experience and what you can expect if it's your your first one going to nationals i had a really good idea of what to expect from talking you said knowing the right people or being friends with the right people having jay and jeremy who have been to several nationals you know in my ear talking to chris about nationals they gave me enough of what to expect. And then when you get there and you're going through it, it's kind of like a blur, to be honest, because you show up and so you've got your your deck list for type one. You're ready to rock and roll. That's that's how I was. That's what I was focused on. I knew I was going to play teams, but I was like, okay, I'll build that, that deck the night before or whatever. And don't ever build your deck the night before a category. I there promise you, you, it doesn't work. There's my advice for everybody. You had to listen to about six minutes of podcast to get to my only advice I have for you tonight. Do not build your deck the night before a category. It never works. Exactly. I will say also, knowing what I was playing in type one, and I ended up running the combo deck because that's what the meta turned into. It was either you were running that or you were running the counter. And I ended up running that. But knowing knowing what, that, what I was going to run for type one, I thought when I showed up that that was going to make me prepared for everything that was going to happen. But it seemed like when I got there, the, the weekend kind of flew faster than like I was experiencing it a little bit. Because you're meeting new people constantly and talking to people that maybe you knew who they were from their um, Discord presence or on the boards, so you know who they who they are in essence, but you don't know them. You're not meeting them face to face before that. So a lot of it was kind of just I don't I don't know how to explain it really. It just it, it's a lot to take in the first time. And you should uh, you should tell the story of how we met face to face for the first time at nationals last year. 
that is a very good story. Okay. All right. So um, we were, me and Jeremy drove to Texas. So from Alabama to Texas, it was like 12 hours. Jeremy's like, yeah, I'll drive. I'll drive part of the way. You drive part of the way. Okay. Let me, let me tell you about this. Not to brag about our road trip skills or anything, but I drove the entire distance there and we made one stop. We had to fill up halfway there and we stopped for a bathroom break at the same time. One stop, 12 hours, we get there. What ended up happening was we were one of about three people there with a vehicle. So we used our vehicle to go and offer uh, some rides from airports and things like that for people flying in. And I don't know where the idea came up, but um, me and Jeremy got to talking because we were going to pick you up at the airport. And he's like, dude, we got to do something. We got to do something that kind of like, I don't know, is fun, makes it memorable. So we stopped by Walgreens on the way to the airport and purchased a large poster board. And we got two cards printed in poster size. We had Love at First Sight from the combo deck and pigs all sold from the combo deck. So we stopped by, we stopped by Walgreens. We got that. We, we bought the supplies and we made this poster board and we wrote top cut savvy, which is a callback to the podcast that you had with Josiah. And we put those posters on there and it was our welcoming sign for at the airport. So we got it at the airport. Jeremy hopped out and he's holding the sign that's got these two huge redemption cards on it. Like, what you would see in a movie of someone getting off the plane and looking for their ride where you're holding up the sign for the person. And that was our sign for you. And I don't, I don't know what's, what's that like when you see that? Cause you weren't expecting that, right? No, I had no idea. I mean, I knew you guys were coming to pick me up. I, my travel plans had kind of like changed a couple different times, um, prior to getting on the plane. Um, I was going to carpool down with Gabe at one point and then Gabe ended up having a couple things come up where he couldn't come. And so then it's like, okay, well, do I just drive solo and like drive straight myself and do a road trip? Do I get on a plane? And then I was actually in Des Moines, Iowa. So I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was in Des Moines, Iowa for a company meeting on Wednesday, the day before nationals. And so that was part of like what influenced my thought process and decision of, well, I'm already four hours down, you know, towards Texas because I'm in Des Moines. I could drive to Texas and then drive back afterwards, or I could drive four hours home to Minneapolis and fly out of Minneapolis, or I could try to catch a flight out of Des Moines. So I was literally like going over different possibilities. And my wife had gotten COVID like a week and a half, two weeks before nationals to the point that then I had to quarantine. And so my quarantine, like we looked at it and like, there was like a very close chance, like the days almost lined up in such a way that I wouldn't have made it to nationals. Like I was technically released from quarantine, like the day before nationals. And so that like completely scuttled half my travel plans too. So like my travel plans changed three or four times like that week uh, as nationals happen, I ended up deciding to drive back from my company meeting in Des Moines to Minneapolis and fly out. And I, I, and it was a late flight that I caught. So this was like 1130 midnight that I'm getting into the, the airport. And so I had text Roy that, Hey Roy, travel plans changed. Here's when I'll be in. Can you have somebody pick me up? And so it was all like super last minute. And so Roy is awesome. And he, you know, coordinated all that stuff and he sent you guys out to get me. So I knew that much. Like I knew that you guys were coming to get me 
that was it. And I am friends with Jay. I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily friends with Jeremy. When we go to nationals, Jeremy and I don't necessarily hang out. If I'm hanging out, I'm usually hanging out with Jay. And so it's just kind of interesting. Um, I'm definitely much closer friends with Jay. And so I didn't even have like Jeremy's number or your number. I didn't even know who you were, quite frankly, no offense. I mean, I mean, I, I knew who you were in like the esoteric kind of sense. But like, so I didn't have your number. I didn't have Jeremy's number. And so I'm literally like Discord messaging Roy and being like, hey, Roy, so I just I just landed and you sent Jay to get me right. And he's like, yeah. And John Hendricks went too. I was like, OK, cool. And then I'm like, do you have their number? <laughs> and, and so then he gets me uh, Jeremy's number, and I text Jeremy, like, okay, like, where are you? And he's like, we're at so-and-so location, and we're in a little blue, tiny smart car. Like, you know, picture the picture the things that you see in, like, a kind of like, you know, like a Charlie Chaplin movie where you see, like, 20 people spill out of it. It was that small, which is how you're able to do the trip on, you know, one gas tank, one one gas stop in 12 hours. I'm impressed by that because I know that if I had driven my truck from the one, I would have stopped, like, six times. <laughs> I have a truck, and, and the car was a smart thing to do. But it's, I don't think the car's overly that small. No, I, it was like a Corolla or something. I mean, it's not small. It's a it's a Volkswagen Passat, so it's it's midsize, I would say. Yeah, it was fine, and yeah. So then you know, get all the connections made and whatnot, and then I I walk out, and Jeremy's just standing there with the poster board. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you said you you had you don't really talk that much to Jeremy, and obviously it was the first time we met. And I actually, co- coincidentally, on the trip to pick you up at the airport, that's also when I had to stop to get another tank of gas. So we stopped. And uh, shortly after we got, got you in the vehicle, and it took like maybe three minutes for the conversation to get into just deck strategy and, and stuff. And it was just like, okay, he's just another one of the guys. He's he's not like, I guess when you hear something about some someone that's had a lot of success in whatever you're trying to have success in, you kind of like assume that there's, there's some kind of like hierarchy, like people think they're, you know, on a higher level or whatnot. And redemption is really not like that. And the proof was in the fact that like you got in the car and immediately we just start talking strategy and things. So I think that w- that was pretty cool to meet you another person that I met for the first time. And I didn't, I didn't talk to him probably the first day or so. Like I'm telling you when I say guys, you can know what you're going to expect and people can tell you, you have to experience it for yourself. Like you're, you're going to see. So it's like overload of meeting all these people. But I remember seeing Jaden walk in and I, I, I think I was sitting there with Jeremy. I might've been sitting with someone else. And the first thing that popped in my mind and I said it because I don't really have a filter, guys. That's that's kind of kind of you know a pro and con of me. He walked in, and whoever I was sitting by, I just leaned over and I was like, "Well, he's a lot taller than he is in his video." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny because then you also met Justin later on, but you haven't uh, met the rest of the Allstead clan. They are all that tall, dude. Like they are all very tall individuals. The shortest one is my wife. My wife stands like five foot five and a half, something like that. I mean, so she's a good head shorter than I am, but like the entire family is six foot. I mean, Jaden's six foot four or something like that. Justin's six, three and a half. Jordan's six, four. Jonathan's six, four. I think Britta's six, two. Like she's taller than I am. I mean, they are 
all tall. It's those good Norwegian jeans, I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember meeting him. Um, another another person that I met because the first category that we played, um, booster. It was booster, uh, LOC booster, and I remember, I remember uh, I got paired with Steve. I think his last name's Levitron. Is is that right? Levitron is a Steve, and Steve was at the tournament, and I don't think Camkey was there. Actually, I know Camkey wasn't there. That's the only other Steve I can think of off the top of my head. So it had to be, had to have been Levitron. I think that's right because anyway, he's got the uh, like Stormtrooper tag on on Discord. Um, he was he was fantastic to talk to. He ended up you know beating me in Booster, and then um, we sat there and we talked for a little while. And he was he was one of those uh, those people who's like the conversation kind of like you have a good genuine conversation and it's memorable for you or whatever. So that was a good experience meeting him. I got to meet Rob and David Smith. They were they were awesome to meet. Um, they they look like they look they look like it it takes it takes a little bit of courage to walk up to him. You know, Rob is this big tatted up guy, and and you know his his brother looks like he could get in a scrap too. But then you start talking to them, and they're again just like you and just like me. They're just you know every everyday average people that well, I won't say you're average guys, but you get what I'm saying. Like there's no, like you meet these people, and it's like there's no like relearning anything because people are different in person than they are how they present themselves. It's like how they present themselves and what you expect of them individually. It's pretty much what you get. Everybody's almost a straight shooter in that sense. And I think that's really cool. I will say that I probably probably should have taken a little bit more pictures and things of that nature because, like, I don't have any pictures from it that weren't being taken by someone else. That uh, I forget the the older gentleman that was taking all the pictures. Al Bauer. Al. And honestly, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today when we kind of were texting a little bit about, hey, you know, should we do another podcast episode with me on it to talk about nationals? Because I mean, I, I'll I'll get on anytime you want me to, but nationals, I feel like I can talk about pretty well. So I was thinking through like people that have been to more nationals than me, and the list was like pretty short. I couldn't come up with all that many people because I've been around for a pretty long time. And uh, Al probably is actually on that list. I, I completely like Al's amazing. I love Al. I love talking to Al, you know, once a year. He's kind of one of those that I talk about family reunion once a year type feel. And Al has been there just as many years as I have. And he's like our unofficial official photographer. He is, does an amazing job making sure that the memories of the weekend are captured for everybody because yeah you're totally right about the pictures thing i gave up on taking pictures at nationals like 10 years ago i will say i have a few pictures from older nationals if i can dig them out they might actually be like legit like hard copy photos not all these fancy digital things that we use nowadays these fancy things digital photos <laughs> um hey i'm just saying you, you gotta remember i'm like six years older than you are i remember days before cell phones were a thing okay okay but I, I don't think you're I don't think you're six years older than me. I think I don't I know how how old are you? I think we're right at the same age, just we, about we, close. We I probably am, are. I am. Don't don't put me on the spot, man. I'm 33 or 34. One of the two. <laughs> one of the two. You don't know how old you are. <laughs> I, I quit. I quit trying to keep up with it because it's like the last day of the year. Like I said, so it's it's the math's weird to in my head to reason and keep up with it. And I just don't care to keep up with it. Oh, if, the doctor, see. if the doctor asks me, I'll crunch the numbers and tell him 
I think I'm 33. <laughs> Perfect. You, you think you're 33? 12, 31. Still my identity, guys. You can have all the debt that I have. I'll give it to you. 12, 31, 88 is my birthday. So that's when I was born. So that's awesome. So you're actually older than I am. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I feel old every day. My job, I work as a manager for a food store company. And so my job is uh, I deal with people that are younger than I am on like a daily basis. And I truly mean like on a minute by minute, hour by hour basis, I'm managing and leading people that are younger than I am. And it is like draining and it makes me feel like I'm 10 years older than I am. That's that's hilarious because I run, I've, I've mentioned it on here before that I run a warehouse a distribution facility where we store and ship out satellite equipment. And everyone that works here under me is most, most of my guys are like 19, 20. And I have this one older guy who's like 52 or 53. And he acts a lot older than he is because he will tell you the same story seven times and act like he never told you the first time. And you're just sitting there like, hurry up and finish. I've already heard this. (laughs) Um, but the the other guy, like I feel like I always I always feel like this. I'm in the middle between those two ends of the spectrum, and I desperately want to hang out with the younger ones more than him <laughs> because I don't want to acknowledge that, you know, I'm 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 getting older. So I feel like having younger guys that work around me, and not that I'm keeping up with the trends or anything, but I feel like that keeps me a little bit more in tune with the youthfulness of who I used to be. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm I'm glad you have that because my experience is the opposite. My young coworkers make me feel old. I'm not on like the TikTok or anything like that. Heck, even Discord. The only reason I'm on Discord is because of redemption. And I wasn't like a big like proponent of it like right away off the bat. But uh, yeah, I'm not like hip and my employees uh, do not make me feel young. They make me feel old, but that's okay. That don't really matter. I will. I would just like to say you mentioned being on the TikTok, I would like to put this disclaimer out there that I am not on TikTok. I will never be on TikTok. There's certain parts of people's individual and personal lives that no one else needs to see. And it's pretty much everything they put on TikTok. <laughs> that, that's so, true. Um, so I guess how, how many, you mentioned that your 2003, I think you said was your first nationals. Mm-hmm. So since then, have you been to all of them? How many total have you been to? So, if we're counting Texas and not Iowa, because that hasn't happened yet, even though I'm going to be there, you know, unless something happens, basically. But uh, so Texas last year would have been my 16th overall nationals and my 15th in a row. So I went in 2003. That was in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I went to that one. 2004 was in New Orleans, and I did not go to that one. 2005 was in Burnsville, Minnesota, the largest nationals we've ever had. And you would think, being from Minnesota, that I would have made that one. But the weekend of nationals, I was actually in Philmont, New Mexico, on a Boy Scout hiking trip uh, through uh, Philmont Reservation, uh, doing an 80-mile trek in a week, um, doing 80 miles across uh, the gorgeous New Mexico desert. So I missed I missed the nationals in my own home state. There's actually a really funny story with that my mom knew how important redemption was to me and like how big of a deal it was my mom drove up to burnsville from rochester and played sealed deck 
so that I could have the promos because at that time, Authority of Christ was like one of the newer promos and it was a ridiculously good card for the time. And so my mom, love her to death, drove up to Burnsville to play sealed to get me promos in 2005. So then 2006 was in New York and I don't remember why I didn't make 2006, but I didn't make 2006. And then 2007 was in Kansas City, and I made that one, and I haven't missed one since. Nice. The uh, the story about your mom kind of uh, just reminds me how much my mom makes fun of me for playing. But anyway, uh, so you would say uh, you you mentioned that Al was one of the ones that have been to more nationals than you. Do you mm-hmm. you know of any competitive players that are that are active now that have been to more nationals than you? So, you know, I didn't like go out and take a survey to see, you know, who all has been to which one. So I don't know exactly how accurate my count is. I'm fairly certain that Rob has been to more than I have, even though he's missed a couple of the recent ones. Um, Gabe and I are close, but I think that Gabe missed a couple in recent years because of COVID and other things. So I think I'm ahead of Gabe. Uh, Chris Bainey has been to far more than I have, but I won't necessarily describe him as a competitive player anymore. Uh, he does MC work for us, and he's contributed a ton to the game, um, but he's taken more of a backseat role and you know, usually only comes to Nationals um, the, uh, you know, for the last few, few years. We got him to play a couple of years ago, but uh, so he's been to more than I have. Ron Sias uh, has definitely been to more than I have. Ron has the uh, longest active streak of nationals in a row. I think that mine is second behind him. Um, actually, Bainey's is second behind him. Um, but if you count players, I think mine's second behind Ron for active streak in a row. Um, and Ron, I don't know that I would describe Ron as a overly competitive player but i think ron really enjoys playing and enjoys competing and ron is a very good player that you have to watch out for he will beat you if you let him so you know just don't let him yeah i i will say i got the pleasure to play ron in type one last year and i ended up beating him and i i guess he was playing some version of the combo deck thankfully i didn't see enough of his deck for it to matter so that was good but after um I think it was maybe Friday evening. Um, we went out to to eat him and his his wife, me and Jeremy, and we went out to some barbecue place in Texas. And so we got to hang out with them and get to know them. And he was another one of those people that I got to meet and hang out with. And I didn't know him at all prior to. And he was a fantastic person to meet and hang out with him and his wife. So I had a lot of fun doing that, going to dinner with them. That was pretty cool. Um, Ron is a really cool guy. I'm going to share a story about Ron uh, because because you said that you went out to to dinner with him and it it triggered a memory for me. So the previous year in Maryland, um, Chris Bainey, myself, uh, Ron, I'm trying to think who else was there. I think it was Justin and Jaden. I think I think that was the group. I don't I don't remember exactly who all was there, but the gist of the story is Ron, Chris, uh, Justin, Jaden, and I. I think that was the group. I think it was five of us. Uh, we uh, we go out to dinner, and this is like in the height of the pandemic, and so like a we had to find a place that was you know 
serving food, seating people, doing that kind of thing. Had to find one, you know, mass restrictions, all that other stuff. And so we find a place and I don't remember what restaurant it was. I think it might have been an Applebee's and they had an outdoor like tent seating area set up so that people could be social distance and have masks off and all that kind of stuff. And so anytime you have outdoor seating at a restaurant that, you know, isn't, you know, intentional, like a patio and stuff like that, um, my, uh, the grocery store that I work for has a restaurant attached to it. So I know a little bit about the restaurant industry. I know how incredibly hard it is to run an operation like that. And so you don't see your server as often in that situation. And so we order and we are eating and, you know, drinks get refilled, you know, once maybe. And anytime you get redemption players together, we're going to sit and chat and we're going to take longer than usual at a, at a dinner establishment. Right. So we're just kind of sitting there and chatting. And at one point Ron like gets up and goes inside the restaurant and comes back out. And we just assume that he just went in to use the restroom or whatever. Right. And so we're just sitting there and we're, we're still eating a little bit and just talking and chatting. And then the server comes by and says, Hey, can I get you guys, you know, anything else, a box or refill these waters for you one last time or whatever. And so we say, yeah, you know, a box would probably be good. I just don't know if we're going to finish this. And I refill my water and whatever. So she goes inside and it's like 10 minutes or something like that. She comes back out with the boxes and, and then whatnot. And then we're just kind of still sitting there chit chatting and, and whatnot. And Ron says something that we just didn't quite understand at the time. And I don't remember exactly what I said. It's like, Hey, are you guys ready to go or let's go or something like that. And we were outside and the, the rental car that Chris had, uh, was literally like, like 10 feet away from us because of how it was set up. And we're like, well, Ron, we're, we don't have the check yet. We, we, we got to wait and pay. And so we're just, and, she's like, and Ron's just like, okay. And so and we're sitting there and a couple minutes later, he's like, you guys ready to leave? We're, we're good. And he's, he's like, and we're like, no, Ron, we haven't paid yet. We haven't paid yet, Ron. And, uh, and he's like, no, no, we're good. And, and we're like, dude, we haven't paid. And Ron's like, no, no, I took care of it. And we're like, what? It's like, yeah, when I went inside, I, I, I took care of it. And we're like, so we're good? It's like, yeah, we can leave. <laughs> so like, we sat there for like 10 minutes. Ron just sitting there knowing the entire time that he's paid the bill and that we're just sitting there being idiots waiting for a check that is not going to come. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, but that's who Ron is. Ron is a very generous individual. He likes to have a good time. Um, he enjoys, I, I personally, and not to speak for Ron too much. I think he loves nationals for the same reasons that I love nationals. It's not about the competitive play. It is to a degree. That's part of it for sure. And there've been times that I've made that be too much a part of it. It is all about the friends, the fellowship, and it is truly the family feel, the family reunion, the great family get together. Yeah, I would I would definitely say that my first experience kind of lent itself to that as well. I will also say one of the cool things about nationals is the fact that like when you get there, I thought I thought when you got there that everybody was going to be like this super secret like my deck, my deck is no one seeing my deck because I'm going to play this and like you're talking about it's not necessarily about the ultra competitive even though everyone's there to compete and try to win. Obviously, everyone that's that's signing up probably wants to win. But I remember Kevin, or not not Kevin, Kevin the dude, but Josh, having his deck laid out. And he's like, yeah, this is what I'm going to play. And this is how I'm going to plan to stop Love at First Sight. And I'm like, you're sharing this with people? And it's just like, there's an openness because people are just hanging out with their buddies or whatnot. 
So I think it, I, I think it really kind of like breaks down some of the walls of like what you expect when you first show up and people are just open and genuine. So I guess let me ask you, um, how much sleep do you think you get on an average weekend for nationals? Because I did not get that much last year. Um, honestly, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have told you I get like next to none, like a couple hours a night and I'm up all hours of the night, hanging out with friends and playing board games and side events and all that kind of stuff. In recent years, I will say I've definitely uh, <laughs> gotten older and I try to uh, excuse myself gracefully from proceedings and things like that. And I try to go to bed at a pretty decent hour, honestly. So usually I'm in bed at nationals by 11 midnight. I try not to stay up past midnight if I can help it because that gets me, you know, six, seven hours of sleep before I have to deck check the next morning. And so I do try to get about seven, eight hours of sleep a night. So I get about 20 plus hours of sleep over the weekend. But I would say I am in the minority there. That is the abnormal side. Most people are more similar to you that they are hanging out either in the main fellowship hall, uh, playing games, talking strategy, that kind of stuff, or they're back in you know, their rooms with their close deck building buddies and friends and stuff like that. And they're putting together, you know, building their decks the night before a category, which again, you should not do. Don't do it. Um, you know, building decks. Lesson learned, learn, man. Lesson, lesson, has been lesson learned. Don't do it. Um, you know, doing that or just chatting and stuff like that. So I think the norm is more your experience, but truly, honestly, myself, I do get a good amount of sleep over the weekend. Yeah, I, I think that I will probably get more sleep this time. But like I said, I was one of three people that had a, had a vehicle. And one of only two of those, I think, that was accessible, that like didn't have a family and was willing, not, not willing, but willing and able to drive people even at ridiculous hours of the night. Um, so the night before teams, while we were working on our teams deck, they actually closed the main hall where we had been sitting there and we were nowhere near done with our decks. So me, Jeremy, I know that one of them, there was two players from that were playing in teams from John's play group in the Northeast. Um, mm -hmm. Patrick Chavaria. Uh, I think he got third this year. Him and I want to say his partner's name was Kevin, but I don't remember his last name. Um, Kevin McElrath, maybe? Yes, I think that yeah. was him. All right, so we decided we're going to go out and we're going to get some food and we're going to find some place where like, there's some, some kind of table outside where we can sit, eat, and keep working on cards. Uh, that turned into us going to several different restaurants, all of them being closed, and getting back. Actually, we ended up finding one where the drive-thru was open, but they didn't have any tables or anything. And then we got back and we went to the front of the campground and there was this little like patio area with lights and we sat down there and I want to say we were there till about 4 a.m. <laughs> and then we went and tried to get a couple hours sleep and then we were still finishing the deck in the next the next morning. So it was just like just being scattered and all that. So definitely that's what happens when you don't plan your deck ahead. So Make sure you build your deck ahead and don't try to find food at 4 a.m. Um, but again, I was just lending myself to, since I had a vehicle and whatnot. Um, 
There wasn't like a Taco Bell or something closed. Aren't those guys open like 24 no. hours? Well, maybe, but there was no restaurants really close to the campground last year where we stayed. Like you had to drive a good distance to get to something. There was a Sonic, but it closed. And then there was like a mom and pop pizza pizza joint and then a Mexican restaurant. But all those were obviously closed. I out. went to that Sonic. There's only like one Sonic in Minnesota and it's on the northern side of the cities. So like anytime that we visit my wife's family, we might go there if we have the opportunity to like go out and get food. But so like I went to Sonic like three times on the Texas weekend because I didn't get the opportunity to go to Sonic that often. And it's pretty good food. Yeah. So you kind of talked about what your favorite thing about nationals is as a whole. What would you say if I put you on the spot and said, what is your favorite nationals memory from any cool. year that you've been? That's yeah, a loaded okay. question, but let's, let's try to find some good story somewhere in here. Um, I mean, here's the problem. I, I could name a half dozen different moments, but like they're all stories that I've told before. Some of them on thoughts from uh, thoughts from Portland. Ha. Some of them on top cut savvy, uh, thoughts from Portland. Jay shared a story that I particularly enjoy and I made him tell it, which was even more awesome. I also uh, remember you telling me that story on maybe on the car ride back from the airport it, it was it was on the car ride back from the airport because and yeah so like, oh yeah yes it, it was it was because jeremy was there and so obviously if jeremy's there we're gonna start talking about jay i love jay to death but i'm a rag on him every once in a while um but like he he always puts me like not not on tilt or anything but like he's really aggressive as a player he's like all right hurry up make your move hurry up make your move so he just kind of like puts you on edge a little bit so that you're like really like thinking about what you do because he's being overly aggressive. And it was nice that you being, I guess, in his head and just him warping that game or whatever, hearing that story just, just brought joy to my heart. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I favorite memory ever. That's going to be really tough. I will say, and I've talked about this before a little bit, the first Nationals title is always pretty sweet. So 15 uh, was was really cool. And that deck, even for its time, was obviously super, super cool. I don't want to use the word innovative because that sounds a little pompous. But, I mean, it kind of was. Like, nobody had ever won with that style deck before. People had had success with defensive heavy hero light decks and things like that for for years before and zebulon style decks were popular in that era of redemption and whatnot but no one had ever like had like true success success with that model at at a high level until i did it that year so that was that was fun and so obviously that one's got a special you know feeling to it being the first one but my favorite nationals winning deck was in 19 with the cwd deck Mostly because, I, I I mean, I've mellowed out a lot in the past, I'm going to say five years, but uh, 19, I was in a very like zen state of mind to where I didn't think my deck was the best deck there. I thought it was pretty good going in. I'd had, I posted on the boards before nationals because I'd struggled with it at high level tournaments. And so I enjoyed playing with it. I thought it was good. And then to just like have everything lock into place and just like click and just like kind of cruise through that day. And then just the feeling of relief um, after the final game, like that one was, was pretty awesome. And that is my favorite deck just because, like I said, 
it in hindsight it is a really really good deck and i made the right tweaks with a lot of help from other players i made the right tweaks to it to make it really good at nationals but i didn't have like huge expectations going in in 18 with hashtag mayhem i had huge expectations going in i thought my deck was the best deck hands down in that field and i was in a very aggressive competitive state of mind then like i was not taking no for an answer that year in 15 i thought my deck was the best deck but i also knew that that style of deck is very mentally draining to play over 10 rounds and i just didn't know if i could do it like to the point that i almost didn't play like i'm sitting there like waffling like do i even like bring the deck into the tournament hall and play or do i just like judge today or something because i just didn't know if i could or wanted to sit through 10 rounds of just grueling mind numbing going close to time every round gameplay with that deck so i mean it's just really tough to pick a favorite memory um because there's just been a lot of really good ones over the years and most of them outside of the titles like most of the memories aren't necessarily related to the gameplay most of the memories that i really enjoy are you know times that we went out with certain groups of people where we just clicked and had a good time conversations had you know with rob or with chris or with gabe where we're standing off to the side watching other people play those are you know overall the more important memories to me than any you know particular game or anything like that that's understandable it's hard to hard to narrow down but um would you would you say that you have a least favorite or maybe like an embarrassing moment? What what's what's the thing you like thinking about the least from your experience with nationals? Um, sure, yeah, I've got one of those, and I I won't tell the story in all its uh, in all its detail because it's not my finest moment, frankly. In fact, it's one of the moments that made me realize uh, what I need to do differently and how I need to be as a, a person and as a and as a competitor and frankly how i need to represent the game in the position that i've been blessed with but it was um i might get the year wrong here it was 2019 and it was type one multi so it was the day after i'd won the type one two-player title and so i'd already won one title that weekend so i really shouldn't have been like hyped up on anything but ironically that year i thought that i had a really 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 good type one multiplayer deck and to the point that i was like planning on winning type one multi because that's a title that i didn't have and still don't have and now never will have and at one point you know one of my goals kind of like we talked about when i joined you the first time i have to create goals for myself to keep the drive alive one of my goals was to have a title in every category of play and so I didn't have a type one multi-title. And so I had a really, really good type one multiplayer deck. And so I was trying really hard to win type one multi. I really, really dislike multiplayer categories because there's so much that isn't within your control. And I am a player and a person that likes to have some control. In two player categories, if I lose, the only person I can blame is myself. In multiplayer, if I lose, I should still only blame myself, but it's pretty easy to blame other people. And so it's the first round of type one multiplayer and I'm at a table 
and I don't remember exactly who all was at the table, but I know that it was one of the Wagonect brothers from Wisconsin and Ron and myself. And I don't remember the fourth player. I could pull it up and look it up pretty quick. But so anyway, so we're four players. And as most multiplayer games do, it came down to a pretty close game. I had two. Uh, the Wagonect brother had four. The other guy at the table had three or four. And Ron had like one or two. And so we're going around and like last round or second to last round, or we're getting low on time, something along those lines. And I go in for a soul and I'm at two and I've already played son of God to get to two. So like giving me a third soul doesn't mean that I'm going to win. And I don't remember exactly what all happened, but basically I feel like a player at the table violated multiplayer etiquette and like Dom blocked me. Like Dom blocked me hard, like used multiple cards to stop me on a rescue where I wasn't going to win the game. And then the Wagonek brother won the game on the next turn because the other player didn't have tools available to stop him. And so I was like pissed. I mean, I was fuming mad. I was irate. And I like wander over to Gabe and I used a few choice words and asked him why he let me play multiplayer. <laughs> I mean, I was hot, like not in a good way. Like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good look for me. It wasn't a good look for the game. And I apologized to to the individual later and said, "Hey, man, I'm so sorry," because I went off on him too, and it was just, it wasn't good. So that's my least favorite memory uh, because I didn't act in a way that I expect myself to, and the way that I think other people expect me to, and. I just have to remember that I am someone that people know and I am an elder of the game and I do all the work that I do and I'm blessed to be able to do that and volunteer in that capacity, but I have to hold myself to a different standard. And so that incident did cause me to like rethink how I am in a competitive sphere. Yeah. I, I guess the benefit of that is knowing that you are aware enough afterwards and at least uh, you apologized, and now I guess you'll always have that memory of being aware of that because I, I assume it's kind of like last year. You, I'm sure you recall that I had a not not on that that grand scale, but at our teens table, the last game we had a had a little thing where I didn't like the way that something played out or transpired. And I got a little hot and I didn't realize that Roy had his phone over there live streaming. And I kind of acted like a butthead too about something that a, a ruling that, you know, a player asking for Dom initiative, even though they don't have a Dom to play, just to send it around the board so their partner could play, even though they weren't going to play before the time ended and the turn, the final turn was done, which ended up not even impacting the final, you know, who got, who got what place in teams. But I remember that, and, and you and Chris kind of pulled me to the side and was like, hey, look, it's it's bigger than, you know, the one game. It's bigger than, you know, one experience or whatever. So I definitely get where you're coming from with that. And, and I think we've all had those moments because, generally speaking, as good as we try to be, we are all wired in that competitive way. I guess I'm generalizing. There are some individuals that I don't think are wired that way. I don't think you'd ever catch like Chris or Roy doing that, for instance. Um, but uh, most of us um, are wired that way. And most of us have had a moment 
like that. Um, I'm not going to name names or speak for anybody, but I know that there are players out there that have had that moment, and I've seen players be different because they've had that moment. Yeah, you know, like I had that moment, and then I started started a podcast here <laughs> uh, <laughs> to you know try to help branch out and get the get the game growing. Um, so we've we've gone through and we've talked about the experience of nationals and kind of. Uh, what you've experienced in all of your history with that, my experience with it being the first one last year. So now I think we need to kind of, kind of, you know, bring it back in and go over some specific information because we did start this uh, talking about the fact that information for the 2022 national tournament had released. So we'll uh, we'll pull up the information here and we'll just start going over some of this. Um, obviously, um, it's going to be in Iowa. I assume that means that Gabe is the head host of Nationals. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Gabe is hosting Nationals this year at his church in um, North Liberty, Iowa. Okay. So, yeah, and the, the name of the church is Grace Community Church. And so it's it's about it's located about four miles off of the interstate. And all of this information that we're going to go over, if you're looking for that, it's in Discord. It's in It's on the boards. But the easiest place to probably access it is just going to Land of Redemption, and there's a map over to the right, and you can click on that, and it'll take you to the post with all of the information. So the dates are going to be July 28th through the 30th. So that's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So some people will probably get in on Wednesday, but it ends on Saturday, and that way people can get back for church on Sunday, people that are in leadership with churches and whatnot. I assume is kind of the reason that model's in place. And then as far as overnight accommodations, if you want to, obviously you can get a hotel. There's some hotels nearby. But Gabe did mention that there is some uh, floor space available for you to bring a sleeping bag and pillow, but they are sharing the church with camps that are using the church as well. So you have to clean that up you know, kind of make the space available for other people if you're staying at the church. Um, do you do you normally stay at the venue or do you usually get a hotel? So are you asking in Iowa or like in general? Well I guess we could we could do it specifically to Iowa since we're since we're gonna be there this year. Like gotcha. I just just for people that I haven't been to Iowa, obviously, and for other people that haven't kind of just to to give a idea of what to expect. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll talk about both. I'll answer both questions. I guess I, I stated it. So I'll, I'll ask both because I, I've been to Gabe's tournaments a number of times. He's hosted a nationals before he's hosted multiple regionals there, multiple Iowa state tournaments. So I've been to the venue numerous times so I can, I can speak intelligently on this matter, I guess we'll say, but uh, in general, um, when I go to any high level tournament, nationals, regionals, et cetera, just depending on where it is, I have done both. I have done the hotel and I have done staying at the venue, at the facility. In general, I would say as I have gotten older, I have leaned more and more towards going to the hotel. I just like to have my own private space, my own room, shower. Sometimes the shower facilities at the venues are not the most amazing options. So I lean more and more towards staying in a hotel. I will say that Grace Community Church is one of the 
pretty nice facilities that we have the opportunity to go to. It has uh, very nice bathrooms with shower options there in the church that are, you know, not just something we set up, you know, out of plastic sheets and a, and a water bottle, you know, it's legitimate like showers with indoor plumbing, all that kind of stuff. So, and it's, it's a huge space. Um, I don't think unless we get like 400 people coming to this thing, I don't think that Gabe is going to run out of space for people to stay at the church. So obviously uh, don't quote me on that later if he does, or if he has to turn people away, it's super generous uh, of the church and him that they're able to offer that. And I don't want to put words in his mouth tonight, but. But if we, if we do find ourselves with 400 people, we'll be okay with that. We'll accept, we'll accept all the consequences of 400 people showing up. We will. We will accept every consequence of that if that were to occur. But there is plenty of space at the church for people to stay. I will say for me personally, most times that I go to Iowa for tournaments, I actually stay with Gabe. I'm very close friends with Gabe. I actually, obviously, we're both on the leadership team. We spent a number of years as co-leads on a couple of sets, so we've worked very closely there. I also lived in Iowa for a couple of years, relatively close to Gabe, and so I hung out with Gabe like every other week um, for a couple of years there. Gabe and I are very tight, and so most of the time when I go to Iowa, I stay with him because he's generous like that and lets me. Uh, this year, I believe I'm going to bring my family with me as my family has uh, grown. I'm not going to subject Gabe to uh, having to deal with my entire family, my my wife and two kids, plus uh, his wife and, and four kids and the house is, is a little much. So we will get a hotel, my wife and kids will, uh, at this year's Nationals. And actually, frankly, I haven't fully planned out what I'm doing for Nationals this year, but I think that I will take a week of vacation and go to Des Moines to Adventureland for a couple of days before we drive over to North Liberty for the tournament. That sounds like fun. Um, let me ask you this, since you mentioned that obviously you've been there a bunch of times at the, the venue and around the area for various tournaments. So I heard a rumor from someone that this place is smack dab in the middle of nowhere and there's only cornfields as far as the eye can see. Is that is there any truth to that? There is a smidgen of truth to that rumor. North Liberty is not completely surrounded by cornfields, but ironically, the church like sits like kind of on the outskirts of town-ish, and there is literally a cornfield like right next to the church. But then if you get a little past the church, there's like a modern like roundabout and a really nice gas station. And then I think the high school's like a little further on. So it's not like completely surrounded by cornfields. But yeah, if you you come to Iowa, I mean, you will see cornfields or pigs, one of the two. Like that's, it's Iowa. That's what they're known for. You won't see pigs at this tournament unless you go, you know, seek them out specifically or play some classic and run into a Laffus deck. But uh Yes, classic with Laphis and pig soul. That's the only way you'll see pigs this weekend. Uh, but you will see some cornfields. I promise you that. And I guess I would suggest before you travel there, don't watch Children of the Corn. Don't watch that old movie because no, old watch man. watch Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. That's what it's all about. <laughs> um, so that's the overnight accommodations. I know that since I said his name and I think I said it right, Steve Levitron mentioned that. He looked up and he booked a hotel, and I think it was less than 100 bucks a night for the dates of the tournament. So you could look that. That was on Discord, I think, in the, uh, in the uh, general chat channel, I believe. But anyway, so you can look into hotels, and probably it's better to go ahead and book now than wait 
till closer to time, but plenty of space at the church, all that. And then as far as travel options, there's, it looks like three airports that are around, like I say around, but that's, <laughs> that's a liberal term around. You want to fly into Eastern Iowa. I'm just telling you guys, that's what you want to do. You can fly into Quad Cities or Des Moines. Des Moines is two hours away. It is a little bit of a drive. So you're going to either have to, you know, rent a car or have somebody in the area that's going over there. I know a few players in Des Moines that are probably going to be heading that way, but you don't, I mean, I'm just telling you guys, just being honest with you as someone that has done it before, I always drive to Iowa cause it's close. Uh, but you, you want to fly into Eastern Iowa. I have flown out of Iowa to tournaments uh, when I was living there. And Eastern Iowa airport is a, is a really nice airport. Um, it might be a little more pricey to get there cause it is a little on the smaller side than the other two airports, but uh, you're going to, uh, you're going to get your cost back from not having to rent a vehicle because picking people up while well, Gabe said it uh, will be available on a limited basis for quads for quad cities. Um, I mean, I'm just telling you guys flying to Eastern Iowa. Yeah, people people probably aren't going to take the time to make you a sign if they have to drive that far away for you. <laughs> um, I was just, that, that was a kid. I mean, probably no one's going to take time to make a sign anyway because I'm the only person that's doing that crazy stuff. Um, but Eastern Iowa is 20 minutes out. So that one, you're pretty much, they can, they list on here, they can get you a ride there. And then the other one, it, Quad Cities is on a limited basis. The Des Moines Airport is okay. If you do this and do that, and just everything breaks the right way, you might be able to pick up a ride. So if you if you want to rely on a ride, the closer airport is the best option. And then I would I would strongly suggest like last year, my experience with that helping with that is it's a hundred percent about communication and making sure that what you say is the exact time. So when your flight's landing and all of that, um, and just keep that updated. So I would, I would, it's communication, communication, communication. I think that's fair to say. I think that's completely fair to say. You're absolutely right. And then, um, as far as meals, meals are going to be provided. So lunch will be provided at the church on the days of the event for a reasonable cost. That's all it says. Reasonable cost. So I can't tell you anything specific about that, but more specific information will be available on site. So when we get there, so you can plan to eat lunch or have lunch available for a reasonable price there. And then snacks and beverages will also be available for purchase on site. And there's some nearby places and a map of those nearby places will be available. So it says lunch. It doesn't say anything about breakfast and it doesn't say anything about dinner. I would assume that means that for dinner, most people are probably going out to dinner. Is that is that kind of what happens there? I'm going to put in a plug for Red's Ale House. It's in North Liberty. It's like five minutes from the church. It is excellent food, uh, excellent libations. If you're into those kinds of things, like I myself am, I believe uh, the last time that there was nationals in 2017, that a group of us went out to Reds, including I think Jay and Tyler. Uh, but it is excellent food. Uh, Gabe and I, whenever I visit Gabe, we make a point to go there. It's literally right down the road uh, from both the church and his house. Uh, so Reds Ale House, guys, that is the place to go yeah. for dinner. Okay. Um, as far as, uh, it, I don't know about, about breakfast. So maybe you want to pack some things to bring for, for breakfast to offset the fact that they're not going to be necessarily offering that at the, at the facility. And 
it's also going to be you waking up if you're going somewhere. That's when you got to do deck check in. So probably probably want to pack you some some light things to eat for breakfast. Um, then uh, I guess the next thing to get into is the event schedule, which is more spaced out than it has been because we dropped multiplayer and we didn't replace those with any categories for real. So things are spaced out to the point to where like type one has its own day. And I think that's pretty cool. All events on the official schedule is going to be rotation format. So no classic cards will be played in any official category. It looks like on Thursday, doors are going to open at 8 a.m. Play begins at 9 a.m. There is booster draft, and the hope and expectation is that Gospel of Christ product is available. And so it's kind of hard to give you cost right now because it's going to determine on availability of that product. So we'll find out more about it as the the dates approach. And then at the same time that booster draft is happening, I know to the complete ire of Jaden, he was kind of, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say upset, but he thought he was going to be able to get some more people to play type two, two player because it was separated from type one. And then it's going to be lined up with possibly GOC, the most hyped set since I've been involved with redemption, having booster draft on the same day. So probably not going to be picking up a lot of type two players that wouldn't normally already play type two. Yeah, I, I would say that's that's probably pretty accurate. Booster draft is pretty popular, and any time that you have a new product, and like you kind of said, uh, the hope is to use Gospel of Christ product, and specifically Gospel of Christ Phase 2 product, if available. So uh, Jaden might just have to play one game against Tyler for Type 2 two-player this year. Oh, man. I wonder if Tyler can get back on top. So, And then it's listed on here, we will hold the award ceremony around 6 p.m., and I know it was kind of at nationals last year, I want to say it was more like, it wasn't a formal thing. It was just kind of like right after or, or after they got the results. And then a few, few moments later we announced the winners and things, but it seems like they're going to hold all of that until six o'clock and then announce that. Um, Cause if I recall last year and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like we got done before six, like well before six o'clock on some of these, it was like three, four o'clock or so. Am I, um, am I misremembering that? No, you're not really misremembering that. I think the announcement that awards around six uh, is to just give ourselves that cushion if we need it, depending on how many players and whatnot we have. The past couple of years, we have had just a little bit smaller turnouts for a huge variety of reasons. And so we have played less rounds and been able to get done quicker, which just allows more time for fellowshipping. So, you know, 6 p.m. is what's listed on the website to give us that time if we need it, if we have the players, which I really hope that we do, and we have the rounds necessary to get us to that point. Otherwise, if we only have 40 players show up and we only play five rounds, then, yeah, awards will probably be at four. But we're going to pray for the next, you know, six months here and keep on doing all the good work that you're doing with your podcast, the things that other people are doing with their grassroots building efforts. Roy, keep on working on the Royal Rangers. I think there's a lot of potential uh, for a huge turnout, and we're just going to keep on working towards that goal. I know we'll have more than 40 players, but the question is, will we have more than 100 or more than 150? And if we do all the right things for the next six months, we very well could, and that would be awesome. And then the award ceremony might be at seven. That, that's perfectly fine. I'm okay with it at nine o'clock. I was just the reason that I, I said that question questioning it is I didn't know if 
maybe when Gabe hosts, he does a more formal thing to where like you break and then you come back later. I didn't I didn't know if it was specifically at six for that reason. No, 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 not not really. Uh, you know, Gabe hosted in seventeen, and I've been to a number of Gabe's tournaments. It's he doesn't do anything extraordinarily different than other hosts do with nationals or with his other tournaments. Uh, he's just given himself some some time. Uh, he's given himself he's given himself flexibility on the announced schedule. Okay, that's that that's fair. But again, that that's just why I was asking the question or posing it as a question. Yeah. Um, and then Friday. Uh, doors open 8 a.m. So again, doors open 8 a.m. Play begins at 9 a.m. So um, I guess and check in at 8 a.m. So as soon as the doors open, you can start doing deck check. And you have two categories, but for most people, it's really just one category because it's based on age, type A, two player, which is 12 and under. Is that correct? I think that's the right number. I'm not going to lie. I don't actually know what the type A requirements are. (laughs) Okay. I, I think I think I've seen it twelve and under, or it could be thirteen and under, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, it's something like that. Honestly, we've we struggled to get enough people to play Type A in recent years and whatnot. Uh, but I think it's twelve and under with no prior uh, wins or something like that. I don't know. It's, I mean, honestly, th- the way that we kind of look at it is if your kid is obviously uh, new to the game, younger, and isn't going to make it through Type One Two player without you know not having a good time like that's the point of the of the category so that the kids can have a a good enjoyable time against people of their skill level yeah um and then the main category for most competitive players um is going to be type one two player and so this is just swiss format and it's it's right here black and white swiss format there's no mention of top cut so there's not going to be i guess that where you think is it going to be top cut and then you get told at the end we didn't have enough people or, or, or whatever the, the reason is that we're switching it and it's not top cut. Now it's just Swiss. So it's just being set up as Swiss. And it's basically on its own day if you take away type A, which is just going to be that age age restriction or age and experience restriction. So people that normally can uh, normally play type 2, 2-player or sealed or, or what other cate- whatever other categories, they're not having to uh, miss this to play something else. So it should be should be pretty impactful as far as getting the most available players to actually be able to play type one two player. So how do you see that being impacted by having its own day and not having to kind of share the light with another category? Well, that that was why we did it. Truly, is type one two player is the premier category of play for our game and so when we made the decision to go from classic to rotation there was all sorts of conversation around it we talked about this and we've been planning this for years now and we've talked about it ad nauseum going over pros and cons and how do we want to do it and where's our cut point and where's our future cut point if we have to rotate again in the future and all sorts of other things like that and so then it was, well, what's important to the competitive scene and what do we need to do? And type one, two player is the premier event. And so we made the decision to cut the multiplayer categories and not replace them with something else. And we made the decision to be 
rotation only and only have you know one type one two player event type one two player rotation we talked about having two type one two player events on different days rotation and classic and having them both be official categories we talked about that we discussed that numerous times ultimately the decision was type one two player should stand on its own and be the only event that day it is the feature it is why we're all there even Jaden and tyler well, I think Jaden has acknowledged that it would be nice to win that, but with it being in recent years pitted up against type two, you know, and this kind of gives that that type of player that mostly plays type two, like him and Tyler, to, the room to breathe and play this, I guess, which is awesome. And I, I really do think that looking at it from last year, not that anything was like overwhelming with the categories last year, but having multiplayer in with the other categories. So you had to choose, I think multi was the same day as booster and all of that. So it just kind of, it, it felt to me like, even though we had a small number and you guys said that, you know, in the past there, there's been better numbers, obviously, but it, it seemed like we were spreading so thin that the fields in all of those categories was kind of lessened because there was just so many ways to spread it out that I think this looks cleaner looking at the schedule. And it makes me think that, the field for each category is going to be better, except for maybe type two, two player. Again, sorry, Tyler and Jaden. Yeah, but I look at it the opposite way, honestly. I mean, kind of, sort of. I mean, would I love to have 20 players in type two, two player? Yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. But if you think about it, if the only players in type two, two player are Jaden and Tyler, well, those are two world-class players going at it mano a mano. Frankly, we'd probably make them play three games. And then it isn't that like an amazing field right there when it's just two incredibly awesome players just going at it. I mean, I could expand that to four. You know, we could go to four type two, two players and have Jaden and Tyler and Justin Allstad and somebody give me a fourth because I'm I said I had four and then I, I lied to you. I don't have a fourth off the top of my head. It's like Gabe, an Gabe's going to have to step in. It, Gabe could Gabe could step in. There we go. And if we had four players and but they were all that like top flight player, that's an awesome, fun field. So it's not necessarily the size of the field either. Sometimes it's the quality of players in the field. And that's something that I've felt the past couple of years, honestly, is and I think it's great that I have felt it. But when I play type one, even in 30 player fields, there is not a weak player in that field. You have to be locked in on point from the moment you say go. And that's awesome. In years past, quite frankly, no disrespect to anybody, you knew your first couple, two, three rounds, unless you got a random fluke pairing, like in 2011 when Gabe and I got paired against each other in round one of that tournament. Unless you have one of those random fluke pairings, if you're a top-notch, super competitive, A-tier player, your first couple of rounds are, might be easy. You might run into some players that just aren't at that same level. That doesn't happen today. Today, you run into players that can beat you from, like, legitimately on, on your best day, they can beat you. You run into those players right away, and that's awesome. Yeah, um, kind of like... Not that, not that I would put myself in that category, but driving 12 hours to Texas and then getting paired with Jeremy again, just that was like, I felt, I felt like, uh, I was going to have it easier in the second round because I played Jeremy first. And then it's like the second round. And, and like you said, just the quality of, of everybody, 
and it's it's more so it's more so everyone like knows when to use their cards more uh efficiently now and i think part of that honestly i don't i don't want to overstep and say that it it is definitely because of that because some people probably would say that they don't watch the videos and stuff but Jaden being an accessible resource and being able to watch him play those games and see the thought process of a top tier player when it comes to deck building and things like that, I think that's a fantastic resource for people. And I know I've watched it and picked up and kind of developed a better way to utilize my cards and be more um, streamlined with how I use those to get to the win condition and whatnot. So I think part of that is is why you have some of that increase in quality within the field too. Um, but en enough about that. A award ceremony, 6 o'clock on that day as well. And then you get to Saturday, the 30th doors, and check-in is at 8 a.m. Play begins at 9 a.m. You have sealed deck, and the product and cost will be determined closer to the event based on availability. And we'll kind of talk about starter decks in, a little, uh, in just a little bit and the reason that it's going to be based on availability or whatnot. Um, but then you have type 1 teams and... Award ceremony for this day will be kind of earmarked for 5 p.m., so an hour earlier. And I guess this is one of those where people try to, if you're, if there's any way to get done sooner, you get done sooner because this is the day that people pack up and leave and go home and head, uh, you know, do their various travel plans back to their home state or whatever. Um, so you get sealed deck and you get type 1 teams. So some people are going to have to make that that decision or whatnot. But... That's the that's the schedule. So booster draft type two on Thursday, type one, type A on Friday, Saturday sealed deck and type one teams. And I would like to note and emphasize here because it is an emphasis in red when you go and look at Gabe's post that they are not set up to take credit cards. Registration will be cash only. And the open deck categories are going to be $10 each. And the closed deck categories sealed and booster again that price is going to be determined based on the product used and the availability of those products so we'll know more about that cost closer to nationals but if you don't know and if you haven't played those categories you get to keep all of the cards that you get in the closed deck category so you're paying for the product that you get basically um so then that brings us to probably the coolest thing about nationals for for me or one of the coolest things is the awesome cards that you get so brings us to Nats promos. So we have Nats promos that were released, and we are actually, as a community, getting to vote on the third winner promo. So you have Treacherous Land, which is, I know, a card that you really like, John. Big fan of T-Land. Yeah, especially when you get you get to double up, and then you just get to beat the crap out of me and Jeremy with it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. <laughs> and then you get King of Tyrus. And King of Tyrus, I'm just going to tell you right now, guys, I've got the comic books now. This guy is, he looks awesome on this card. When you go look at it, I think it's the one card that like really stands out that people's going to talk about. But this this card looks fantastic as a, I don't guess you necessarily needed another King of Tyrus because the other one just came out in Prophecy of Christ. But when you can get one that looks this cool, why not do it, you know? And then we're going to be voting on the third one. And the third one's going to be a lost soul. I think the last couple of years, at least, you had a lost soul. Um, well, I know in 2019 you had darkness, lost soul, 
last year you had lawless. I don't know if there was one the year before in 2020. Was was that a question? Yeah, but I don't guess it really matters. Uh, sorry, I I spaced off there for a minute. I'm just staring at this King of Tyrus art. That's, <laughs> that, that's legitimately what I'm doing. I, you're just kind of talking, and I'm just like looking at this art because it is amazing. I mean, I, I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but we were talking about the Angel of the Winds promo and uh, how expensive that got when Chris went and sold some afterwards. And I was telling somebody that, just wait, there's something even better coming. Like, cause at that time we had like started working on some of this stuff and I'm like, this King Tires art is going to blow people away. I'm telling you, I'm, I mean, unless it's like third place and there's more of them floating around out there, that card is going to be 200, $250 easily. So you had better bring your a game to nationals and you better be ready to, to win because it is going to be rare. And you also got to remember we have less categories this year because we got rid of multiplayer categories. So there's less categories. So there's going to be less of these floating around. Like the supply is going to be limited on these. I love I love the fact that like I think you and I are in the same vein when it comes to these promos. Um, obviously, you have more of them than I do because I'm I'm chasing from behind because I just got into the game in 2019. Um, but like these promos, first of all, I think it's a fantastic step for the game's development to offer these as incentive for winning nationals versus just a participation. Cause up until 2016, I think it was just a part- participation promo, right? You didn't get, get one explicitly for winning. 2016 was the first year that we did uh, special promos for winning. Correct. Yeah. And the, the art on them has just gotten fantastic. And it's culminated in a really nice secondary collector's market for competitive players. So you're not collecting like error cards and things of that nature. But not to get sidetracked by all of that, I think it's a, a really cool thing for the game to have these high-end chase cards. Um, and King of Tyrus is definitely going to fit in that. Treacherous Land is going to as well. And then the card that we're going to get to vote on will as well. Um, no matter so- which one it is. All five of these are pretty sweet looking. So no matter which one it is, it's going to be worth something. Yes. And so I will tell you, uh, obviously you can see these on Land of Redemption as well. Um, or they are um, on the boards where you can actually cast your official vote for that. They are open to community vote. Everyone gets one vote. And the, I, I don't think there was a, a end date listed. So I don't know when they're going to actually close that. But obviously they're going to close it well before national so that they can get these printed in the quantity that they need, I would assume. Um, unless you guys already have them printed and you're just deciding on when to release those. But um, the souls that you can vote on is Awake, Escape, Exiles, Humble, and Prosperity. So I will say that I voted personally for Humble and for a very vain reason is that I think the art on this is a more tolerable art character than the lady that's on the on the um, original one. And I think that was, was that Cloud of Witness that came out? Uh, that sounds right. Okay. Put me on but, the spot here. <laughs> well, you, you did help design the set, whatever set it was that it was in. I've designed a few sets. They kind of all blur together after a certain point. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, it was Revelation of John that Humble came out in. Oh, okay. But uh, 
humble humble is one of those souls that that's really useful especially for the fact that it's a modifier so it doesn't get negated with the negate neutrals running around but i think this art looks better and that's why i voted for that personally which one did you vote for john so and this is what i'm not like 100 percent sure on but i have access to the poll results and i don't know if everyone does or if i do because i'm a global moderator but as of our recording for this i am the lone vote for the exiles lost soul so i voted for exiles because i think it is super amazing looking art it's just like this weird like dude and he's like got like a pipe or something in his mouth he's like i think he's like i don't know what he's doing. he's like metal working or something there it's like just a super cool piece of art and i think it's the best piece of art out of the five choices and i also think personally that everyone's analysis of exiles and remnant soul with the new reserve rule is wrong now i don't think they're as wrong on remnant i think remnant did take a pretty good power hit with the rule and so i don't know that remnant is necessarily worth running anymore but i really truly feel that everyone is wrong on exile soul and that it is still worth playing in my seven souls. And I say that even knowing what the GOC souls are and knowing that I might still play Exiles even after GOC comes out because it is so flexible and versatile. We've printed a few capture cards in recent years. There's a couple capture cards that are really good in GOC. So the release all captured humans is a legitimate viable ability on it. Top decking a good star enhancement from discard pile is an incredible ability every turn of the game after turn one and taking ot artifact from reserve is an awesome ability every turn after turn one so it's not amazing on turn one anymore so what it's still a really really good lost soul getting to use your solomon's dream or your emmaus road again after it ends up in your discard pile is really good and totally worth playing and then just play some effects that can put Lost Souls back in your deck. You know, there's a few out there, DOU, and there's going to be a few more in GOC. So, like, I think that everyone is wrong about Exiles. And so I think it's got the best art, and I think the ability is still worth playing. That's why I voted for it. Okay, I will I will absolutely agree with you on the artwork. I told you before we started recording that I voted for Humble just because it's the one in the game I dislike that art the most. So I didn't vote for Exiles, but I do think it, I told you that I thought, before you even told me you voted for it, that I thought it was the best art here. Um, and then if you if you asked me which was second, I would probably say Awake. It's just this guy randomly laying down and, you know, kind of, kind of ironic that it's called Awake, but he's really asleep. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, you go to the scripture reference and it'll make sense. Um, so those are your options to vote on. And you, you said something about being able to see the results after you cast your vote, anyone can see the results because I can see them as well. And it looks like currently we only have 26 votes and I know there's more than 26 active people on the boards in discord. So everyone make sure if you haven't voted to go cast your vote for that. And you mentioned earlier, no end date, but the voting actually does close on January 30th, according to this poll here so you have until january 30th 
to cast your vote. So that gives you from the day that this comes out, you've got 12 days basically as long as as long as John gets us out on schedule on the 18th and doesn't, you know, lollygag around. If we get it out on the 18th to you, which is the plan, I believe, you'll have 12 days to cast your vote. Okay, that's fair. And again, that's something I completely overlooked, but it is right there at the top under under the vote. So I was probably just so eager to click which one I was voting for that I just kind of skimped over that. <laughs> um, so so those are what you're you're voting on for the third. And I guess you you mentioned earlier if King of Tyrus is the third place. So I guess that means you don't know which ones are first, second, and third. Are you guys have decided that? That's correct. We haven't decided that yet. These cards have not been sent to print. Obviously, we're still waiting on the Lost Soul uh, selection to do that. And so when we get closer to sending them to print, once the Lost Soul has been selected, we'll come back as a group and have more conversation about which one is one, two, and three. In most years, we've got a pretty clean idea of which ones are one, two, and three when we're selecting on our own. This year, uh, with the cards that we have and without having a dominant and other things like that, it's uh, it's a little bit more. We're just not 100% sure. And so we'll come back together as a group and we will decide that uh, closer to, uh, you know, obviously when we send these to print. Because when we send them to print, uh, we give Rob the numbers of each card that we need. And obviously you need less of the first place card than you do the third place card. And so when we send those numbers, that, uh, that's when we kind of need to know which one is which. I personally, and this is just, this is a personal feeling, and so I'm not saying that it won't be, uh, because I am just one vote and one voice. I am not a fan of having evil cards, no matter how cool they are. I'm not a fan of having evil cards be the quote-unquote top card. I have been very uh, adamantly against having an evil national promo um, since I joined the team and we haven't had one, I think ever actually, but definitely since I joined the team, we haven't had one and you mean be, be the first place one, right? No, no, be, uh, the participation promo. Oh, okay. Had, I, okay. Uh, and I guess we had mayhem one year, uh, so that's not quite strictly true. Um, but in general, I am really not a fan of having evil cards be the card that everybody, even your first time player gets because ultimately the game is about redemption and it's about our journey with Christ and it's about bringing people to his word and teaching them about it. And I just don't think it's the right thing to do to have an evil card be the top card or the most important card or the card that everybody gets or anything like that. And so personally, even though I think King of Tyrus is the coolest looking art and the quote unquote best card out of the Lost Souls, T-Land and itself, I don't think King of Tires will be number the first place card. I think it'll probably be the second place card. But that, like I said, I'm one voice and it could end up as a first place card. It could end up as a third place card. We'll know when we know. For for a perspective from just some random guy that, that plays the game and collects cards, I personally would like to see it be first place just because it's so cool. And I, I guess just to you know give it the value over the other options here but i definitely understand what you're saying well and, if it's if it's first place it'll probably be like a 500 hundred dollar card and i keep trying to sell you my 2016 son of god and you haven't bid on that yet so i don't know if we want it to be a 500 hundred dollar card yeah but why not it because, makes it, it for the people that get it think think about the person that kind of 
shows up to nationals and then this is a card that people are going to want because it's like you said the best artwork here among these that's the the eye catcher and things and if you sneak into i don't know say you team with somebody and you you get to first place you that you didn't expect to win and you have limited resources as a player well now you have a what you say possibly $500 chase card that with you cutting out categories and it being so valuable, well, now you can actually mortgage that for more cards to build your collection to improve your, I guess, resources as a player to improve your competitive ability. So I think I think that's cool, and it just keeps it. I like I like cards that hold value, and I think it would hold its value very well. So that's. That's kind of that's kind of like my justification for why I would think that personally I would like to see it be that. But again, I get get what you're saying as well. And then I guess we have I know that I forgot to put it on the list, and you told me, but we have Nicodemus, the Seeker, and then Nicodemus, the Teacher. And I guess that means that this is this is going to be the participation promo. Correct. And so you have, on the good side, he's Empty Tomb. on That's his identifier, and he's all white. And then on the uh, evil side, it's a flip card. On the evil side, he's Nicodemus the Teacher, the Pharisee. And so the ability as a hero is you may draw X, limit three. X is the number of your meek New Testament lost souls. And then may ban to Joseph of Arimathea cannot be negated. So if you're playing meat lost souls, you get to draw up to three, gets a band and cannot be negated. And then Nicodemus the teacher, the gray Pharisee, if blocking alone, you may draw two. So this guy's drawing two no matter what, or up to two. You can draw evil, you can draw good. And then this card and New Testament gray enhancements used by this card cannot be negated. So we CBN on both sides. So it looks like a Tyler card. It's got draw abilities. It's got CBN. I'm pretty sure Tyler made this card. Yes. And, and another thing is it's super versatile because you can, you can play it both ways and it, it looks like it's good both ways. Obviously we don't know what Joseph of Arimathea does, but speak, speak for yourself. Well, I know what Joseph of Arimathea does. I'm, I'm speaking for the listeners here too. <laughs> now, now granted, if you want to go ahead and drop what Joseph of Arimathea does, we're all ears. I would love to tell you what Joseph Arimathea does, but unfortunately he is a phase two card. And so I am not at liberty to reveal anything about phase two cards to you at this moment. But I can tell you that Nicodemus is also still in testing. These cards haven't been sent to the printer yet. And so these abilities could very well change before we get to that point. Yes, absolutely. And I was going to get to that point. I wasn't just going to throw these out there. But yes, Gabe did put in his post that these are faced. This is a phase two card and these abilities are still being tested. All right. So that brings us to probably another high end chase card. You had Angel of the Winds last year as the worker promo. And that card on the secondary market went for a ridiculous amount of money. And I think someone on this podcast actually was driving the cost up but i'm not going to say who i bet his name was john but again i'm not going to say which one still doesn't narrow it down for anybody then both of us are on here or it could be your son that was driving the cost up you never know could have been and here's what i would say to that because i will openly say that 
I bid very aggressively on those cards and I did so for a very specific reason. And I was willing and ready to pay and win the bids if nobody wanted to outbid me. But I truly firmly believe that these cards should and do have a high secondary resale value. And my intentions with the availability and the bidding were to make sure that the correct price was set for them. No disrespect to any secondhand or secondary retailer out there. I uh, love both Derek and Ken, love their organizations. I buy cards from both of those guys. I wanted to make sure that based upon their availability and the fact that neither one of them actually had those available for the most part, I think Derek did have a couple available, but I wanted to make sure that we weren't picking, I'm going to say arbitrary, and I know that Derek would argue and say that he has a system, and I'm sure that he does, and I trust the system, and I don't doubt that. I just disagree with the numbers that I've seen on some of these cards in the past, and I wanted to make sure that we set that floor value with that bidding at what I think is true and fair for what these cards are and how hard these cards are to get. And I will say I won the vo the voting. I won the bidding on a couple of these cards with some high bids, and I was glad to to pay that price for them. Yeah, I also play, paid for some of these, and I paid a good bit more than I was initially um, going or, or going to bid for them. I'll say that. I actually, we were on vacation after Nationals. I went on vacation with my family, so we were at the beach. And I told my wife about them. She's like, I guess, you know, like where you can tell she's irritated, but she's like, okay. And she gives me this amount. And she's like, okay, well, this is, don't spend over this. Okay. Well, I was pretty much past that on like 30 minutes in because I was like, <laughs> I want that one, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one. And then you kept bidding and she was gassing me up. She's like, okay, well, you got to win it now. You got to win it. <laughs> you can't, you, if you want the card, you can't let him beat you. you. Can't let him beat you. So I gave Chris way too much money, but I did get a good bit of the, the cards that he had that I wanted to like it. I've said it before on here. I believe that my goal is to have from 2016 forward, I want all of the national promos. And you talking about that market and setting that value, that value means that if I do achieve that goal, that ultimate goal of having all those cards, they will be immensely more valuable if that market is set properly based on the availability of those cards. So I have no problem with that because in the long run, if I assemble that that collection, then that that collection as a whole is worth so much more because those cards held their value individually. So I definitely get where you're coming from. And I will say that it has not been very often since last Nationals. Obviously, we're not a year past, but you don't see Angel of the Winds promo popping up for people trading or selling it very often. In fact, I think I saw two of them move hands, if that it might have actually been just the one that Chris was doing, and I think they were there was talks about a second one, and I don't know that transaction ever actually happened. So, uh, so <laughs> I I bought one from Chris, yeah, and, and then I turned around and I sold one. Okay, so just saying, you're, you're, <laughs> so it, it moved hands twice. Okay, okay, that's fair. Um, but music leader, music leader is one of those cards that kind of has the ability on music leaders kind of the idea for counter cards 
from the design team or from what Gabe mentioned, that the design team doesn't want to restrict things as much as they want to offer a benefit for the player that punishes the opponent by giving you benefit when they do whatever search or draw versus restricting that and just locking the opponent down and then it's kind of like a slower pace or whatnot. Music Leader is one of those cards from, I believe it was Persecuted Church. Um, you put me on the spot again, John. Stop doing that. I wasn't putting you on the spot. I was putting myself. I wasn't expecting you to answer that. I'm I'm going with my thought. It's, it's, it's persecuted. I have Lackey open in front of me. You're welcome. Oh, okay. Thank you. So can you get on the server yet? <laughs> uh, hold on. Testing. Testing. Um, ooh, doesn't look promising. No, yep. it doesn't immediately. Nope. Nope. I am not getting a connection here. <laughs> no love connection, guys. Um, so mu- Music Leader is one of those cards that's in that same vein of kind of like how Thomas the Twin that they spoiled for GOC Phase 1, where you can go get a dominant if an opponent uses, I think, a search ability. Um, so this is a card that a lot of people play. Obviously, it's very popular, but the artwork on this one's fantastic as well, and it's just who whoever's selecting this artwork, because I know that Gabe runs point on it, but I know... Some of you guys have mentioned that you select artwork or you, you guys share artwork and then you pick those for cards in the future or whatever. Whoever's picking the artwork for these cards overall, you guys as a team, it's fantastic. The artwork has gotten so much better um, on the on the latest sets and the promos, and it's knocking it out of the park. But Music Leader looks awesome. I would venture to say Music Leader is it's almost as useful as Angel of the Wind. So it's going to be immensely popular. People are going to want it. There was already a discussion about working and, and doing what, what you need to do to be able to get one of these cards and all of that. We're not going to get into that discussion, but Music Leader, I would assume, is going to hold that same kind of value. What do you think about the, the promo version of this? Do you like the way it turned out? Oh, I think it's phenomenal. I will say uh, we all pitch in a little bit with artwork as we, you know, come across things and find things. And we we shoot things out to the group and say, hey, here's this piece of art. Uh, obviously, with Redemption, uh, we don't spend money on art. Um, we don't have an art budget. So everything that we find and use is in the public domain. That's that's how we have to do things. And so a lot of times uh, members of the group will send things out and then we'll have to check for public domainness. That's something that Gabe uh, takes the lead on doing most of that. And so I will say all the promo work is completely 100% Gabe. Uh, this year, for sure, most years it is. Uh, he kind of takes the lead on that project. He does a phenomenal job with the overall art direction of the game. And I do think that Music Leader looks uh, incredible. And I think Music Leader is a super useful card. Here's the difference in my mind between Music Leader and Angel of the Winds. Angel of the Winds can go in any deck. Music Leader goes in a more specific deck. Now, I will say that Music Leader can go in a variety of decks still, uh, but he does have a lesser oval overall sphere of decks that he can go into than Angel of the Winds, which can just go in about just about anything. But I would also say that I think Music Leader is a better card than Angel of the Winds, even though it goes in fewer decks. It's also, frankly, my kind of card, because I do like uh, counter-type abilities. Um, Music Leader, I, I categorize personally, when I look at cards, how I categorize different cards. Music Leader is a soft 
benefit counter. So there's like three or four different levels of counters in my mind. A music leader is the lowest tier of those. So you have soft counters, which still allow your opponents to do things, but then trigger your own abilities. And then there's two kinds of those. There's things that they trigger that benefit you, and there's things that they trigger that hurt them. And so music leader benefits you. They do something, they get to use their ability, and then music leader triggers and you get something good happening because they use their ability. And so in my mind, that is one of the lesser useful abilities as a counter, um, but as a card, music leader is incredible. And for what he does, he is ridiculously good. I would rather just stop you from searching completely and that's the that's a level of counter, a hard counter, uh, like has old Hezekiah Signet Ring. I would rather play Hezekiah Signet Ring, but frankly, most players in the day played both of those cards together. That way, if you handled one of them, they had the other one. Yeah, I will say that that all makes perfect sense, and I know that uh, my buddy Brad, who has a deck that's built around Music Leader and David Heart After God. I know that he would have loved to get his hands on one of these. So um, I would say that people that play this card, this is going to be in high demand. But you mentioned how useful it is. And it's, yeah, it's a soft soft counter, if you will, using your, your analogy. I think one of the cool things about it is the fact that it doesn't, it, it's not a draw, draw alone or search. It's either one. If they do either one, then mm-hmm. you can grab those two cards. And I don't, I don't know how many there are off the top of my head that are not punished, but offer the benefit for both either or. So a lot of them are if they search or if they draw, this guy does both, which makes him a little bit more versatile for decks that can use musician cards or, or cards that involve music. No, you're, you're totally right. It answers both of the speed mechanisms available to players in one card. There aren't that many uh, that do both. Um, you know, I think of things like, uh, Judean mediums, which isn't really a counter card, so to say, but it gets turned on, um, F the opponent does either one of them. Um, you know, Rafa of Gath isn't a counter card. It gets a bonus if your opponent has drawn or searched. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's very few, like just straight up counters to both speed mechanisms. Um, sun worship is probably one. Um, I think that's if opponent uses a draw or search, you get to discard um, top X cards, where X is the number of cards that they either draw or search for. And so I think Sun Worship is probably, that's that's the soft punish counter. It's very similar to Music Leader in that it's a soft counter. They still get to use their ability, but then they get hurt for using their ability. Um, but yeah, there's very few that punish uh, both speed mechanisms. Yeah, um, I think Envy is another one that comes to mind. I think... Let me, I got it pulled up here. So this one, place in territory if opponent exchanges to or takes a card from their reserve, you get to top deck a card from reserve. So if they go to their reserve for a search or exchange, then you get to uh, top deck a card from your reserve. And then it has, if they use a good draw ability, you can draw two. But it's a, it's more limited than music leader. Music leader is like wide open. If they do either of these, grab two cards. And then you can grab them from discard or your deck, which is very versatile. So it's just an all-around good card for decks that can utilize that. So moving on to side events, and this is one of those those things that I'm really excited about because this is kind of different than last year. Last year we had the Garbage Sealed, which is something that happens, I think, every Nationals from what I gather. Again, last year was my first one, but I know that it was 
something that people were looking forward to or whatnot on one of the nights. And then we were playing Raid, which is the half size. So it's only like 25 cards, I think it was, cards for Royal Rangers just to, you know, teach kids how to play and play quick games. So it doesn't have dominance or whatnot, and they're they're made to be balanced and play against those. You pick one of those and you play over the weekend, and whoever gets the most win. But those were the only like side events that we had. And so this year, so this year we have uh, a plethora of side events, and most of them are going to be pushing classic, so that people that are missing classic and want to play classic decks, there's going to be an avenue for you to be able to play those and show those off to you know people that you you hang out with at nats and these events are going to be running and they are able to be ran as soon as you have eight players interested and then the winners will receive an exclusive side event promo but you can only receive one promo from each category so i guess that means if you win type one two player and then you play type one two player and you win a second time you're not getting a promo for that you only get it for each category so if you then went in one multiplayer, I guess you would get another one. So I guess it promotes you playing in one, and if you win it, moving on to the next to generate more interest in other categories across these. So I'll give you a list of the categories, and again, you get eight players interested, then you play these. Type 1, 2 player, classic. Type 1, multiplayer, classic. Type 1, teams, classic. Type 1, LOC, Lineage of Christ Constructed, so LOC only. And then type two, two player, you guessed it, classic. And then type two, multiplayer, classic. Did you did you know that was coming? Classic. So these uh, these events are set up and there's no limit to them. It doesn't say there will be a small registration fee to enter each side event. And then as soon as it reaches eight people, it will begin. And these will just be in the evenings after... Um, the main category of the day, and it says events will use the minimum number of Swiss rounds required to determine a winner. Three for two-player categories and two for multiplayer categories. Each side event can be run multiple times provided there's at least eight players interested, and then winners will receive that promo again, but you can only receive one promo from each category. So it seems like these are going to be able to be ran uh, several times over the course of the weekend. Um, First of all, when you guys decided to do this, was it was it difficult to pitch to get an exclusive promo for these? Because as far as I know, again, being a little green here on national protocol and whatnot, this is the first time there's been an exclusive promo for a side event, correct? That's correct. This is the first year that we're doing this. We're giving it a trial run. We'd like to try different things and uh, see. And Rob is extremely supportive uh, when we bring things to him, uh, as long as there's some logic and thought process behind it. And we're not asking him to spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a piece of art for one card or something like that. Uh, he usually is very uh, generous and open with us. And he lets us know if something doesn't work, obviously. But uh, this is a a replacement for the Top Cut promo. So Rob has done the Top Cut promo uh, for us for the past few years. And this year we're not doing Top Cut, we're doing Swiss uh, only in type one, two player. And so we don't need the Top Cut promo. In the past two years, the Top Cut promo has just kind of ended up going out to the top eight players. 
And so this year we're doing the side event promo, uh, which replaces that. So it's no added cost to Rob really to, to have that. And so it was a pretty easy, easy ask. And I'm assuming it was a pretty easy uh, give from Rob. Um, and so that's what we're doing there is this replaces that. Um, and so, yeah, so this is the first time that we've done side events, but it isn't necessarily the first time we've had this level of prize support, so to speak. Are you looking forward to playing any of these categories? And if so, which ones are you most looking forward to? Uh, which one's going to be easiest for me to win? I want that card. Uh, type one, two player classic. <laughs> I, I don't type one teams classic. I'm not playing type two. Sorry, Jaden. Sorry, Tyler. Uh, n- not doing that nonsense. You're um, not doing two player uh, type two multi or I'm sorry, type two multiplayer classic. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, friends don't let friends play multiplayer categories. What what, what was the thing if um, if Justin can't get to get to one, he can't get to seven? Correct. If Justin can't get to one, he can't get to seven. That's just how it works. If more people understood that, Justin would never get to seven. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to play some type one categories if I've got time. Hopefully I do. Nationals is a pretty busy weekend for me. I always give back and, and judge um, a category. So, you know, I've got some commitments there as far as time goes. And I like to spend uh, time fellowshipping and hanging out with players. And so side events do a little bit of that, I think. Um, but obviously going out and having meals with people. And like I said, I'll have my family with me as well. So we'll just kind of see how much time I have to do these. But I'll play type one, uh, two player. I'll play type one LOC constructed. I'm actually pretty excited for that. I didn't play type one LOC uh, when it was ran. Um, at nationals in Maryland. Um, I think I was playing teams probably. Um, so I didn't get a chance to play that category in like an official tournament. So I'm kind of excited about that. I'll have to throw an LLC deck uh, together. Um, there were some uh, other options that you didn't uh, rattle off um, in your first list that are kind of the secondary list of, hey, we don't know that we'll run these side events, but enough people are like excited about them. Maybe we will. Um, and and one that's of those- why I didn't do them off the top. Right, yeah, yeah, and I, I totally get that. But there's one in there that I'm excited for, and that is uh, Type 1 Block Constructed. Um, I have been really pushing uh, for a block format, and obviously for a lot of different reasons we don't have a block format. Um, but, I mean, not to stroke my own ego or anything, but I have been pushing pretty hard for things like LOC Constructed, GOC Constructed, and block formats. And so I hope that enough players are also excited about the block format that want to play uh, Type 1 Block Constructed so that I can play some of that. Have you have you tinkered with a block deck yet? I am not going to say whether or not I have the best deck in that format already built, but I do. Okay, so now you're lowering the interest for people. <laughs> <laughs> I can only win once, and then I can't get the promo anymore. So I'll win once, and I'll I'll duck out. It's okay. <laughs> um, so those categories, the reason that I didn't mention those was obviously we need to see what the interest level is, but I'll go ahead and rattle off the list of those. You've got Type 1, Gospel of Christ Constructed, so just like Lineage of Christ, but this is Gospel of Christ. I'm guessing that's going to be with both Phase 1 and Phase 2 combined since Phase 2 is releasing at Nationals. And then the type one block constructed. And for those of you that are listening that don't know what block means uh, as far as in um, redemption terms. So there's a block set that we're current, we've currently been working on when we had Gabe on, he kind of, you know, laid the foundation of like what that vision was. And it started with the fall of man, 
and then the prophecies of Christ showing the Old Testament scriptures pointing to the coming Savior in Jesus Christ, and then lineage of Christ showing the people that was God used to um, craft his plan to lead to the culmination of that plan, which is our redemption, pun intended there, for the game title for Jesus coming and being our sacrifice to, you know, cover our our sins and allow us to have relationship with God, even though we are sinful people. So that culminates in gospel of Christ. So all four of those are the story of basically from the fall to the redemption story, if you will. And all four of those are what people talk about when they say block in redemption terms. So it's four sets. It makes a block. Type half. Do you want to just briefly say what that is. I've heard it before, but I don't really know the difference between type half and type northwest, I think is what that stands for, from like Oregon area. I know one of them is where you don't have like dominance and things of that nature, but I don't know what the difference is between the two. I'm not going to lie, John. I can't speak intelligently on these. I haven't had time in my life to play these alternate categories back when they were like introduced and popularized and, and whatnot. Uh, my understanding is that type Northwest is no dominant 70 card minimum decks uh, designed to be a more, um, you know, balanced uh, decks and some defense and not the crazy speed things that have been very popular for a while now. Uh, the other thing with type Northwest is that it is one hour and you play the entire hour. It isn't to a, total like you don't play to five or seven or anything like that you play to your time limit and then whoever has the most souls at the end wins and so that allows for some interesting uh, gameplay there where you can play like a defensive lock deck and then win a bunch of souls at the end or you know an attrition type deck and just run your opponent out of resources and then pick up a bunch of souls and stuff like that it's not it's not about racing it's about making every card count um, type half i'll totally mess this one up but the basic idea is that you can't have any more than four of any card type like you can't just slam 12 heroes in and call it a day you get like four heroes four good enhancements four evil characters four evil enhancements uh four or five lost souls and i think you get like four flex spots or something like that that you can use for for anything um the rules are all up on the boards um and so that's that's a very brief overview that may not be 100% correct. But uh, both of them had pretty good followings. And I've observed games of both. They look quite enjoyable. I've never actually played any games of either. Okay, well, I definitely appreciate you uh, offering some type of insight because even though you, you didn't know specifically a lot of, of the details, you know a lot more than me. I've heard them mentioned on the boards, and I know that, especially like Type Northwest, that's the one that I think had like the, it was almost like cult, like following people talking about it and talking about how much they enjoyed it on, I think it was Discord not too long ago. So that'll be interesting to try out possibly. Again, it's one of those categories that if there's enough interest, so it's not guaranteed that it's going to be. The next one is Cube Draft, and I'm going to go ahead and play my stupid or, or dumb card here and say that I know that other games, other card games have quote-unquote, cube draft. I don't know what that is. Do you have any insight there? 
I have also not played the cube draft, but I know what cube draft is. So uh, Travis Brown, who uh, got out of the game about ooh, six months ago, maybe three months ago, um, Travis Brown built a cube. And what the cube is, is it's booster draft play, but Travis has the packs built. And so the packs are pre-selected sets of cards that you go around and draft. And so it is solvable, quote unquote, even though I don't think anybody actually knows what's in the cube besides Travis. Um, but the draft experience is is less random than if you just open up some packs and things like that. There's no filler type cards. The cards are all uh, high power level and they have unique interactions and cards that people don't like to see um, aren't in the cube and things like that. It's a much more controlled uh, version of drafting. And then you obviously pick as many packs out of the cube as you need for players. And so it is still different every time. Um, so that's what cube draft is. And Travis ran it uh, at a few nationals before uh, he retired and uh, he sold his collection, like I said, earlier this year. So I don't know who all has the cards. I can make some pretty educated guesses about it because um, I know who likes to buy collections when they go up for sale. Um, so, but I bought the Noah's Ark art. Um, Travis hosted nationals. He's actually, he actually hosted it twice, uh, but he hosted it in 2016 in Ohio when Noah's Ark came out as the national promo and he actually commissioned that art uh, from Doug Gray. And so he has the piece of art that Doug Gray made um, as a big canvas that then became the art on the redemption card. And he was selling that too. And I just couldn't let that uh, go to anybody but myself, I guess I'll be I'll just be very possessive about it. Um, I couldn't let it go to somebody else more. I couldn't let it go to someone that like wasn't at the tournament and wouldn't like understand and appreciate uh, what it means uh, to Travis and to the game as a whole. So that art is uh, hanging on my wall right behind me where we're recording actually. Um, and it has the signatures um, on a canvas behind the Noah's Ark art of various players that were at that tournament in Ohio. And it's just a super, super cool piece of redemption memorabilia. Um, I actually stood up and I'm looking at it now. I mean, there's there's names on here that you guys, uh, listeners, will recognize that we've talked about before. Uh, Jay, um, Justin Allstad, um, Gabe, and then there's other players on here that don't play anymore or I haven't seen in a long time that I just I see their names and I it just brings back those memories of of playing against them. Um, you know, names like uh, um, Scott Bowen, uh, who was from Wisconsin and he's moved now, I think, to Arizona, uh, but he doesn't play anymore. But he was a super cool guy. Um, you know, Tim Molly's name is on here and Tim's a name that most people still know, but he doesn't play nearly as much anymore and has kind of uh, stepped back and things like that. Uh, Tim is my brother-in-law, actually, but uh, so I still hang out with Tim, but a lot of players don't. And it just brings back really good memories just looking at uh, the names on this. So, so I have that. But I actually know for a fact that Travis wasn't able to sell his cube, and he still has that. And so if we were going to do a cube draft, we would either need to uh, contact Travis and purchase it from him or build our own. And I don't know the first thing about doing that. Okay. That's that's a pretty in-depth and kind of came with a cool story. So there you go. Um, I mean, it was. It's, we're talking about nationals. It's a nationals-related story. 
absolutely. And it kind of brings back to that, you know, the family family type thing because you're sitting there going over the memories when you read the names out. And definitely that just continues to add to what we said earlier at the top of this about nationals and that family atmosphere type thing. Um, the next one, look, guys, I know what garbage sealed is. I know what this one is. This one is where you try to get the old, um, what is it, Prince of This World or something like that. You basically get a big numbers guy and you're playing enhancements that don't really have abilities and it's just numbers and old school cards and you're just trying to bludgeon your opponent and the biggest the biggest guys, whoever drafts the biggest ones or whatever, or get some out of their packs, I mean, they end up winning. That is how garbage garbage sealed works. It's blue and green packs, the cheapest packs out there, the originals and the profit packs, and not a lot of abilities on those cards, just a lot of numbers and match the colors up and go to town. Yeah, so that's that's something that's very, like that one, I assume that one's going to have enough interest because it's one that was played last year. And apparently, I think that one will fire at least one round for sure, if not a couple. And honestly, that's the one, like if you're going and you haven't played redemption before and you're not sure about building these different decks like if you if you're not comfortable building your type one two player deck but you might not want to branch out into all these other categories that's one that it's it's very low effort you just grab cards and you're trying to find big numbers and there you go go to town so the promo that you get we've mentioned that a couple of times is going to be up to another community vote and i think this one is actually harder than the one with lost souls because the Lost Souls, no matter which one wins that, I'm I'm obviously okay. I'm okay with any of these. But all three of these promos are promos that, like, I want right now. And I know that Gabe mentioned that we will probably see these down the road sometime. Or someone mentioned that, um, that I asked on Discord. But these are cards that I want in my collection right now, all three of them. The Souls, eventually, obviously, I, want, I would like all of those. But take it or leave it right now. These... Give me these and let me put them in my deck right now. You know what I mean? So this one, the vote, I'll go ahead and tell you the results of this vote. Running away with it is Foreign Wives. You've got Foreign Wives, you've got Jonah, you've got Storehouse. These are all fantastic looking cards. I think Foreign Wives being pitted up against this, there was there was really, I see no way that Foreign Wives doesn't win this. And it's not because it necessarily looks better than the others. Because I think Jonah... Jonah looks really cool, and Storehouse looks really cool as well. So the it's not like you look at one of these and the art is just far and away better than the others, although I kind of like the Jonah art better than the others just because Jonah's a card that I like to play. But Foreign Wives being that it was on 1020, it's 10.26, so it's on that more narrow and slightly taller card. It's not the new card size that fits perfectly with everything else. It's kind of like the reason that Scattered, it was the Top Cut promo last year, and the reason that it's one of those that a lot of people want, obviously because it's a rare Nationals promo, but also it's the first time that Scattered's been put on that new card size. So Foreign Wives being put on that new card size is kind of, in my mind, the reason that it's running away with the vote. And right now it's got 61.5% of the vote. Out of 26 votes total, it's got 16 and then Jonah has three, and Storehouse has seven. So, looks like I'm not getting Jonah for a while here, fellas. Um, did you vote for Foreign Wives? Um, I think I did. I don't have that open in front of me, and I don't remember for sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure I did. Um, I think the art on all these is pretty good. I will say, 
I love the art on Storehouse, but I also love the original Storehouse art. It's one of those iconic Doug Gray pieces. It's got the cool little teaser in there um, with the Tatooine um, suns on it and the uh, moisture uh, farmer uh, you know, apparatus there in the right. Um, so it's kind of one of those classic pieces that I just really enjoy. I'm a huge, huge fan of Doug Gray art. If you see Doug Gray art being used on new cards these days, uh, Doug hasn't made art for redemption cards in a very long time. Um, 2016, the Noah's art card, which was commissioned by Travis. Um, but before that had been like five or six years before, since he'd made any other art, um, he made some of the art on like the tin cards and things like that. But Doug Gray was a, was the, was a paid employee of Catch's Game Design and was the art director in the infancy of the game um, when we paid for art and did other things like that. And, uh, and then obviously he's done a bunch of the art himself. But anytime that you see Doug Gray art on a card today, it's likely because somebody that really loves Doug Gray art like myself uh, pushed for us to reuse it or to reprint the card that it was originally on. So there's been a few reprints that we've made uh, that we thought deserved reprints and were uh, you know close enough. And then there's been a few times that we've reused Doug Gray pieces from other cards um, on on new cards that we know that we're not going to reprint that older card that originally appeared on because we do love Doug Gray art. So I think that's part of the reason that Storehouse isn't seen as much. Um, you know, votes as, as many votes, I guess, as foreign wives, because the original art on it is fairly iconic um, to some of the players that are out there, even though this promo, potential promo art that we have out there is really good looking too. Um, but Wives is Wives. It's an amazing card. It's the most played card probably out of these three. The most versatile card. It's a super good blocker. Um, being multicolor, giving it access to all sorts of different things. Um, it triggers a whole bunch of different identifiers that can check boxes for you if you need a certain um, you know, nationality in play. It's got a bunch of those so i think that foreign wives is going to run away with this vote as well and i do believe i voted for wives for those reasons yeah i did i definitely voted for foreign wives but my my biggest thing some of all that that works for you too because i really do like the original art on storehouse and the fact that like there's there's a shockingly high number of redemption fans and players that are star wars fans so that's pretty cool that you have a card that kind of bridges that gap or, or not that, that gap per se, but, you know, kind of brings those two worlds together. And I really do like the original on, on Storehouse. Not that this one doesn't look great too, but Foreign Wives just being on that new, that new card size is kind of the reason that I'm looking forward to that one if it does continue to trend that way. And I know that you kind of explained who Doug Gray was because you name-dropped him a few times and you explained that. For those of you that don't know, Travis Brown was the – he owned – I don't know how to say this because Ken owned – so Doug Gray, I think, is the original founder of Three Lions Gaming, right? Correct. Yep. And then he sold it to Ken. Ken then sold it to Travis. Yep. And then Travis, when he went back to school and you know, kind of closed the chapter on redemption for the time being and now he's gotten out of it, sold it back to Ken. So he – for a time on three lions gaming. And he was kind of instrumental for redemption in that secondary market. Probably about the time. I think that coincides with around the time that Derek was starting your turn games. Does that sound about right. 
Yep, that all sounds right. You are spot on on the transition of Three Lines Gaming. It was Doug Gray's uh, secondary market uh, company, um, retailer of Redemption products and whatnot. And then he sold that to to Ken. Ken sold to Travis. Travis sold back to Ken, uh, who still has it, and also runs the Good Ruby Christian Bookstore uh, down in Arizona. Um, that is the trajectory uh, for a little bit there. Uh, Chris Bainey from Covenant Games um, was, uh, when Doug originally sold it, he sent out an email to a bunch of different people, um, you know, offering it for sale. And I know that Chris uh, Bainey uh, was one of the people that was offered it because I actually worked for Chris at the time I was in high school and I uh, helped Chris uh, inventory his redemption stuff and uh, mail out redemption things that people had bought from him and whatnot. He was a very big retailer at that time. Um, he's shut down those operations uh, since then. Um, but I know that Three Lions was offered to Chris to purchase um, for a undisclosed amount of money. Um, but uh, so I, I know I know at the time what the valuation was of Three Lions Gaming. So I got all sorts of fun redemption tidbits if you just get me talking. Yeah, you and you and Jay are going to have to do some kind of like, I guess, deep dive into the history of, of redemption. Someone mentioned that that would be cool to know. And you guys, now that you're starting a podcast, I know it's not really what your target uh, discussion points were going to be because you want to talk about competitive strategy. But if any if anyone knows the history of the game and can talk about it for hours and, and hours and, and just make a lot of content about it, it's it's you two. So we'll move over to the next big thing that we have here. And I know this episode's running long. It's just, I, I, I'm sorry. There, there's just so much information going on. And I, so when we got ready to start making the topics for this podcast episode this morning, Rob dropped this nugget on us that the printer, or he has updates from the printer for GOC phase one. And what that looks like is he mentioned that he has ordered three print, uh, print runs, so three print runs, and runs one and two are already sold out. Print run one will be shipping the week of January twenty fourth, so that that's approximate. Don't I, I don't think he assured that as a guarantee. So it's expected to be shipping the week of the twenty fourth. Resellers will receive approximately fifty percent of their order. So that means when Print run one comes out. It's only going to cover 50% of pre-orders. And the second print run is running about six weeks behind that. So six weeks from the 24th is the second print run. And the balance of pre-orders that were submitted on time through the resellers and things of that nature will be shipped from that second printing. Cactus will also fill as many orders as they can that were submitted after the deadline, the deadline, and the third print run should be available mid to late April. So I know that said a lot right there. It probably sounds like just some guy rambling. So the big thing is you've got three print runs, ones on the 24th of January going to be shipping out, and that's going to cover 50% of pre-orders. And then you've got print run two, six weeks after that, and then the third one is going to be mid to late April. So we could be well into tournament season into April and May before you start to see kind of accessibility for all of these cards for phase one and orders that have come in. He did say that orders that have come in since December 15th. So if you ordered after December 15th, you're not getting your cards until the third print run. 
So that's that um, mid to late April uh, print run. So there's going to be staggered accessibility for these cards. So people that ordered their cards early, pre-ordered them early, are going to get theirs before everybody else. So there's going to be, I guess, some people are going to be playtesting with physical cards and some people are probably going to be stuck running with proxies once the images come out and all of that for quite a while. Um, I think this kind of happened with Lineage of Christ, John. But before that, I, I don't know because Prophecy of Christ had already released both phases when I got into the game. Is it is this, um, and I know that normally they release at Nationals, so it, I guess normally you avoid this altogether if it releases at Nationals, but is it usually like this as far as supply when the new set comes out? Um, there's a whole lot of factors that, you know, are in play here when it comes to supply. And honestly, we don't even have all the details and whatnot. We have what Rob gave us in the announcement and we don't know a whole lot more than the players do, to be honest on that one. There could be any number of things. Obviously we know that the printer has been running behind for a while now, uh, COVID supply chains, you know, all sorts of stuff that impact it. Um, you know, we were talking about it today as an, as an elder team and, and whatnot. None of us want to speak for Rob without, you know, Rob's permission, but there was topics about, Hey, maybe it was just the printer said, you can only order this many cards uh, you can only order, you know, this many printings of it or whatever, because of everything that's going on with, you know, their ability to produce cards. And so that's why he had to order it, you know, more piecemeal like this. I will say uh, with LOC, there were a couple of print runs, um, but they weren't quite as staggered as these GOC ones are from my memory. Um, and Rob orders additional print runs of sets, you know, not all the time, quote unquote, but I'm going to say all the time because it sounds cool. Uh, but Rob orders print runs of various sets uh, on this print demand, print on demand model as he runs out of them. Um, but uh, I don't remember lineage being quite like this i would also correct you slightly on sets coming out at nationals um in recent years uh say the past five or six or seven or eight uh, we've actually intentionally released uh cards not at nationals that way they would be nationals legal um and you would have access to them before the major tournament season. Um, for a very long period of time in the history of the game, new sets were always released at Nationals. We got away from that, um, up, I'd say about eight years ago, um, with when cards were released. I want to say it was probably Cloud was the first set that I remember for sure. But I think uh, Early Church and Persecuted Church also didn't release at Nationals. But for sure, Cloud and ROJ um, did not release at Nationals. And in fact... Because we didn't release those at Nationals, that was when we did alternate borders um, for Nationals to give a hype reason to come to Nationals to get the limited availability of those alternate borders. And now we just kind of do those uh, fancified borders on, on most cards um, rather than having uh, quote-unquote boring borders, what they used to be, just kind of static, generic uh, colors on the sides of the cards. Okay, well... I will definitely accept that correction because I don't speak as an authority on, on this. Learning as we go here. So um, there was this week, um, if you tuned into Rob M Studios on YouTube, there was one spoiler that was released this week, and I think this was the only one that was part of GOC Phase 1, and it was the card Love One Another. We had seen this card previously, and it didn't have the ability on it. And now we have the ability, and 
That card is a clay and purple enhancement. The numbers are X and two. X identifier is going to be the number of your meat clay cards, which already you hear meat clay and you got to start thinking Church of Christ. St. Um, Patrick. St. Patrick. There you go. You're... <laughs> You're 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 still you're still a little salty because when I had you on the first time before we before we recorded it or whatever, I was like that card doesn't look that good or whatever. And you, <laughs> I th- I think you you corrected me pretty well on on the fact that you <laughs> you can connect certain. It's not that he's good by himself; it's just connecting. So now you just got to bring it up and call me out on it again, huh? Yeah, just a little bit. Um, so the ability on love one another, the star. Ability is discard an evil card from a reserve, which we've seen that before. That that can be a useful useful ability, especially for disrupting what a deck wants to do early. But it's also one of those things that doesn't work on turn one, so it's it's just going to be hit or miss when when you get this card in your hand about using that star ability. Now the actual enhancement ability is select up to X evil cards. Again, X is the number of your meek clay cards. So select up to X evil cards. Again, I'll just say Church of Christ. You can say St. Patrick. Convert. Uh, it's, it's best with Church of Christ. Yeah, especially with a token, because you can play this on the token to make it CBN, correct? Yes, you can. So select X evil cards. If you've got, you know, eight meek clay tokens, because you put eight heroes out there, um, convert the selected humans and bounce the rest, regardless of protect abilities if used by a meek hero. So, I mean, it's just, this looks like a fun toy to pair with that, that card uh, for Church of Christ, but it's also got purple. So you could use this with disciples. We don't know what the full array of what disciples are going to, we don't, I know you do make that clarification here, (laughs) but so you could use it with purple or clay here. And another thing is X2. X number of your meek clay cards. This could be a fantastic toss card as well. So, you know, you could toss down X could could be pretty high. So it could be a solid toss card. Did you did you play test this? And if you did, or what was your your thoughts of this card while playtesting? Let's say that. It changed a couple of times during playtesting uh, to to different various things. Um, at one point, it was doing something too similar to another card, and so it changed a little bit. And and then we ended up on this, and it is uh, really good. And what I'm most excited for, I'm not, I'm going to talk a little bit more generally than just this one card, is like the way that we did clay. Like there's so many different ways, even within the GOC set, because we had so many cards lots available to us. There's so many different ways to build and play clay and i think that's awesome like we like to have well de- well defined themes and opportunities for people to play but then we also like having the ability to build decks and play decks of the same brigade differently and have different goals and ways to play the cards and so clay as a brigade coming out getting a huge bump in goc it hasn't seen a ton of cards in a while Clay is going to be a really, really fun brigade next year. Uh, you're totally spot on that Church of Christ is like going to be amazing with this card to get you a bunch of meek clay, you know, tokens sitting out there. And then, you know, the ability to play this on one of them for it to be regardless of protect and CBN. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be really good. Yeah. 
I think um, I don't want to uh, to toot your you guys horn too much because I know we talk about card design is in a really good spot. And like, I mean, you can't say it enough, but it, it really is. But the fact that you guys took the early church and persecuted church clay themes and with just a few cards to give them reserve access or interactions with the reserve, the church of Christ giving them, you know, some way to kind of tap into the meek stuff because they don't have meek flip cards because obviously that wasn't a thing when those came out. Um, I think you guys did a really good job with that, and I'm excited about it. I'll be honest. When I got into the game, I started buying the latest stuff because that's where, obviously. You mean, you mean after you bought your Angel Wars packs? Yes. after uh, I bought those sight unseen, if we'll say that. I knew what I was getting into when I started buying Prophecies of Christ, um, which Prophecy of Christ, from, from Angel Wars to Prophecy of Christ, that's honestly, that's why I'm still here. So... <laughs> Um, but I personally haven't bought any packs of persecuted church or early church, just bought maybe a a single here or there that I needed for some deck that I was doing. This actually makes me want to go and invest in those older sets, which is fantastic. And that's going to help boost the, the market for those sets with Rob to make more money, to keep pushing, uh, funds into the game. So I personally think that the way that you guys designed this to make me want to go back and buy the older product that I don't have kind of gives them new life. And I, I, I think that's a really good thing that came out of the way you guys did that with the clay stuff. I don't know if that was, that was the direct intention, but I think that's definitely going to be a side effect of the way that you guys designed that to interact with and bring those themes up to speed with what's going on in the current game. So also with, Rob's announcement, he went ahead and gave us information on the INJ Plus cards, which you guys spoiled previously, and we have since found out that the image on that was the the border and the bottom portion of an artifact called Denarius, which is a, a reprinted card with a new ability. These cards are going to be with INJ starters that apparently we've run out of packaging for those cards so we still have the inj cards and the decks we just don't have more packaging for them so rob's putting them in new packaging and also adding some i would say these are mid-level like chase cards to make people again kind of like what i mentioned before i don't know if the direct intention and maybe you can speak to that uh, but i think it's kind of like what i mentioned before is that it's going to make people want to buy INJ starters to get their hands on these cards, which is going to boost more income for the game and put more money back into the game for cards that were just not moving very well as far as with the veteran player base. But so we're getting six new cards and they're, they're giving the cards, the set identifier of INJ plus. So the six new cards are going to be packaged with starter decks in their new packaging and they are due in early February, according to Rob. And we got all of these cards through a lot of activity today on the Discord. So we know what all six of these cards are. So we'll kind of look at those real quick. And so the first one was New Jerusalem, which is basically the new winter promo version of New Jerusalem. Copy the last good dominant played during this phase. And then we get... A card that I think kind of had immediate, like, positive uh, reaction to. 
because it, uh, obviously it was the first one that we figured out that wasn't New Jerusalem, which was just given to us, but Judge's Seat, which is a fortress. And so this is a reprint with a new ability, and it says each upkeep you may take a good Ruth card, a good Ruth or Judge's Enhancement, I'm sorry, good Ruth or Judge's Enhancement from deck or reserve. While you control a judge, you may discard this card to discard an evil card in a territory. So Judge's Seat, helping out Ruth and Judges, is going to fit in with the J Starter deck. So this card looks like it's going to be useful with the Starter decks when you buy it with that, and it's also going to support Ruth theme that was boosted in um, LOC, so you get some usage out of that for the starter decks and for, you know, decks that use that Ruth support from LOC. What do you think about this card, John? Um, It's good. <laughs> I, I don't really know what to tell you besides that. It's a really good card. Um, we've tried to be very intentional in, in, in giving themes unique identities and things that they do and not having everything be the same. And one of Judge's things that it just kind of does is territory destruction. You see that on Jephthah and Shibboleth and the old Judge's seat, frankly, uh, was that way. So we wanted to keep a little bit of that flair on this card. And so that's why, you know, while you control a judge, you can discard it to discard an evil card in a territory, a very broad ability to get rid of, you know, a three woes, it's evil sitting in an opponent's territory or an evil fortress is giving you troubles or a character um, and just, you know, win that war of attrition with it. So it's, it's a, it's a really good card. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I didn't do a ton of testing on these personally, so I don't know how it's going to play out like in real time. Just being totally honest, I, I didn't do a ton of testing personally on these with uh, when the project happened and my involvement level in that exact moment. I didn't test these all that much. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Um, so the next card was an artifact. And I guess let me back up and say that you've got a fortress, and I did say that it goes with the J starter deck. So you can plug it in and you can play and you can use it. And if you think about it, there was no fortresses in the starter deck. So this is introducing new card types. So you get the additional um, soul rescue with new Jerusalem in the starter deck. You get judge's seat, which is a fortress. You get Daenerys, which is an artifact. You also get a reprint of the new covenant. We'll go, we'll go over that ability in a minute, but that's a covenant actually. So you get it, you get to use it as an artifact or as an enhancement. Then you have a reprint of Philistine Outpost. And then you have a new lost soul called the first. So you add fortresses, there's an artifact, and there's a covenant. So you're adding some different card types that didn't actually come with the starter decks when they were first made. So it's kind of branching out and it's a, a I guess a light step introduction introduction to some of those card types. The Denarius reprint is you may take an evil Roman from deck or a New Testament gray enhancement from reserve. While you control an emperor, you may discard this card to draw three. So this is a card you could pair with delivered. I think you were the one that mentioned that to get just a random draw three out of it. Um, the New Covenant, and I'll just run through these, and then if you want to comment, you can. The New Covenant is on the enhancement side, hero may ban to any number of New Testament heroes which is kind of kind of fun. I don't know that I recall any mass banding of cards in the starter deck. It's been so long since I played with those. But And then on the artifact side, 
you may take a good gospel enhancement from deck or reserve. And the enhancement is obviously purple for, I think that's what it was previously, but the new covenant. Um, so you may take a good gospel card or a good gospel enhancement from deck or reserve. So that's going to introduce potentially the reserve to someone that doesn't know about that from the starter decks and these getting packed with that. Not that you necessarily have that with that, but that's obviously a card that will be useful with GOC cards coming out. Um, Philistine Outpost, if attacked, you may play an evil Philistine from deck or reserve. At any time, you may discard this card to resurrect an evil Philistine. So they get rid of your Goliath and you bring him back. Sounds, sounds pretty good. And then Lost Soul, the first, if put in play and all of your other Lost Souls are meek, you may draw one and top deck this card. And there was discussion on Discord asking the question, if you draw this and you don't have any other souls, do you get the benefit? And I believe that was answered to be that you would not because you can't meet the condition if you're, you don't have any lost souls that fit that criteria. So is that how you see that ruling? Uh, that's how I see that ruling for sure, yeah. If you don't have any lost souls, then um, you don't have other lost souls to look at, and so it stays in play. And this is the one that uh, we talked about, I think, back when Bobby was on the podcast talking about the new um, Redemption subreddit that kind of has that feel of like a combo-y card. It says if you if put in play and all your lost souls are meek, so obviously you're, you're maintaining that you get that draw one and then you get to top deck, so it's a recurring ability. So as long as there's nothing to interrupt that, which – in the starter deck, I don't think you're going to have many things that interrupt that. So it just kind of generates a little bit more card advantage and speeds those up potentially. So um, you got any thoughts you want to throw in on these? Yeah, I'm going to share some thoughts on the design process of these uh, because today, uh, when we're, so we're recording this on Friday, um, which was the day that these released. Um, but so when these cards were brought out, um, we've been pretty... Uh, pretty sparse i'll say with spoilers this season we've really been drip feeding you guys which has been a lot of fun and then today uh when when rob announced the project and and gabe dropped the first spoiler we kind of had a chat and we're like should we just like get these guys going crazy and just like see how fast we can get this hype train rolling and so we're like we're just gonna release everything today we're just gonna get it all out there and just have it be a great time um but so, and so that was awesome, but I want to give a little bit of the backstory on why we picked these cards, because in the moment of just spoiling them, it was just kind of, wow, these are so amazing. That was the general consensus on most of them and whatnot. But the idea behind these cards, and you alluded to it a little bit, is they are designed to help um, teach the game to new players if the ij is their first interaction then they look at the ij plus cards it's teaching things that weren't previously taught in those starter decks and helping that next step so denarius teaches you what an artifact is it also teaches you the timing of artifacts that some artifacts work uh, when you activate them the first part of the ability and then some artifacts work at any time um, and give you options with when you get to use them. So it teaches you the timing on both ways there. And then you've got Judge's Seat, 
which teaches you what a fortress is and what a fortress looks like, and you have to learn where they go. And then it teaches you about upkeep triggers, because it has an upkeep trigger when you get to use its ability. And so now you have a frame of reference for other cards that only trigger in upkeep and how to play those cards. Philistine Outpost shows you that fortresses can also be evil and how those operate. And then it gives you battle phase trigger knowledge with the F attacked ability on it. So it teaches you about making sure to check your triggers as battle phases start and various things like that. Then you've got New Covenant, which teaches you what a covenant is, as both an artifact and an enhancement. So it introduces dual card types to players. The abilities on it aren't necessarily anything uh, radical or anything like that. They don't really teach you a whole ton, um, but it teaches you about dual card types. And then you have the Lost Soul, uh, which there were ability Lost Souls in INJ previously, but they were both win rescued triggers. And so this Lost Soul teaches you about put in play triggers. So they were very, very deliberately chosen for not only the card type that they are, but the abilities that we put on them to teach specific aspects of the game. That's really cool hearing the uh, the intentional uh, reason for those. And I guess I didn't immediately pick up on the, the different timing. So you mentioned having the upkeep trigger or knowing the ongoing ability of Denarius. So... It's not just when you activate it in your prep phase. So that's that's pretty cool that you guys put that, that kind of thought into it. Let me ask you, I, I did also say that it looked like this was kind of intentional to maybe drive product sales for some of those remaining. Because I know everybody wants new starter decks. And we always hear that Rob's sitting on INJ starter decks because it's back when we were doing uh, not print-on-demand. You were having to order things in bulk. So he's sitting on a bunch of INJ starter decks. Is this, was this also intentional to move that product to try to clear that out for potentially future starters? Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, if that ends up happening, that'll be fantastic and, and awesome. But it, it really truly is about the fact that Rob had ran out of packaging and he needed to order new packaging. And just with the way that the new packaging ended up being, you know, fit around the cars and whatnot, um, we had the opportunity to add these six cards and um, and make the packaging work that way with those cards. It truly wasn't necessarily about, hey, let's create some awesome cards that everyone's wanna gonna want to have to sell out of the rest of I and J to to clear the way for future projects. It was about uh, it was about just the opportunity that we had to do it to make the packaging work. And I would say these cards, while good are not necessarily like, like, I mean, I'll buy some new IJ, new quote unquote IJ, I'll buy some IJ in the new packaging to get copies of these. Um, but like, you don't necessarily need these cards for any specific deck. NJ is a reprint of a card that you can get by winning a tournament. Or if you attended uh, nationals in Tennessee in 2019, it was a promo uh, then. So like that one isn't one that you need. The Lost Soul is good, but in testing, we really found that you want all of your Lost Souls to be meek if you're going for those meek type things. And so it's not necessary for a meek Lost Soul deck. And the ability 
well, good isn't like outstanding. Uh, Judge's Seat is for a very specific deck that doesn't necessarily need it. It has other ways to do those things that it wants to do. Philistine Outpost might be necessary for a Philistine defense. So you might need to get a hold of a copy of that card. And I will say that since we changed Endless Treasures, Denarius is a potential plus four if you have an emperor down so you have to have the emperor down doesn't quite slot in every deck the way that endless treasures did but it is a plus four with taking an evil roman from deck or an antique ray from reserve you get plus one there and then the draw three so i mean it can be a pretty good card advantage swing in the right deck set up for it but it's probably not going to happen turn one unless you draw you know it or delivered and an emperor to have down and play already so you know denarius might be one that you need to have i don't know if i'd go that far new covenant you have plenty of other ways to do both those abilities um, on existing card right so really the only two that you like might need to get a copy of in my opinion are outpost and denarius so it's not like they're chase cards necessarily so yeah our goal wasn't really to to clear out the rest of the inj product with these by any means well like you said if it if it happens that's fantastic so we can always hope that that kind of kind of helps push in that direction because I think we all can agree that we would like to see new starters sooner than later, but I think we've all acknowledged the fact that we've got to get through the INJ to do that. So if you're listening to this, you need Daenerys, you need Philistine Outpost, whatever you, whatever you need. If you just want the cards because you want all the cards in the game, buy you a couple, couple starter decks once they get repackaged and are made available. Okay, before we get ready to wrap up, let me ask you this. You guys mentioned when you spoiled just that bottom image that ended up being Daenerys with the IJ plus uh, set symbol or set text, and it was said that it was part of a special project and are part of the special project that was also mentioned with the new winner promos that turned out to be Michael Chief Prince and David's Harp. So... Are we should we expect those to be available early February as well because they were part of that project were they sent to the printers together? I think so. I am fairly confident that we sent Rob those files all at the same time. What I don't know for sure with them being two slightly different projects is if Rob had them in the same print queue around the same time, but I'm fairly certain that you will see new winner promos right around the same time that you see the IJ plus. Uh, Cause I know that we did send him those files at the same time. And typically Rob doesn't really wait a whole long time. Honestly, it's usually Rob asking us for files that he can send things to the printer. Cause he knows how, backed up and delayed they are um you know he kind of gives us timelines for hey i need to have cards by this time in order to get cards back by this time so i'm I'm fairly certain that you will see new winter promos uh, early february well fantastic i think those are two really exciting cards that i know a lot of people have already talked about and there's some buzz on those and i know they're going to be fun once people get their hands on them especially uh i know brad's really looking forward to that david's harp he just keeps telling me Dude, this card, this is a card that's right up my alley. And it works well with if you get to nationals and you're rewarded with one of the worker promos of the new music leader, and then you get David's harp, then you start seeing some support for some really cool things that you can do with the music theme uh, decks like Brad has that he built. Um, So we'll get ready to wrap up there. I know this has kind of ran along, but again, you guys, you're involved with the community. You know how active 
the space is right now. We've got information dropping left, right, and side, sideways, it seems like. And the hype train is I, – I almost thought it went off the rails today a little bit, but no, we're, we're, we're still on track. We've got information about GOC coming out. We've got these uh, IJ Plus repackaged starters, new winter promos. We've got nationals information. We've just got a lot of things to be excited for as we get ready to ramp up into the uh, the spring tournament season as you know people start playing more face-to-face tournaments. I will say also, I know I normally talk about uh, the Lackey Grand Prix tournament. I know that Lackey is currently down as of us recording this on Friday night, so I don't know if it will be up by the time that we finish that up. So I know this will come out on Tuesday, so round three pairings will be up potentially, but because Jay said he was going to since the server was down for two days, he was going to extend it two days. So I think we're actually, today was the third day, so round two pairings are still technically going to be active when this comes out. So you can use Untap or you can use Zoom to try to get those games in, and hopefully the Lackey server comes back up at some point so that we can use that as a resource to play. I think it's honestly the easiest way to play remotely against people. All right, and so that's what's going on with the Lackey Grand Prix. If you have any any specific questions about that, I'm not running that. Jay Chambers is, so make sure you reach out to him. He's flooded red on the Discord, and he's red on the boards. Um, also, in a future episode, I know that I reached out to Chad, who is See the Tree on boards and Discord. I reached out to him to possibly arrange in the future an episode about redemption collecting. We're talking about full print sheets, error cards, the most valuable cards in the game, things like that to talk about. So hopefully we'll be able to arrange that coming up. Because I want to get in on that. Can I co-host that one? I mean, I guess if you just want to join this podcast too. I mean, I just, I like to talk about expensive cards. We talked about expensive cards tonight. I know. I I keep trying to get you to buy my son of God promo. I mean, I'll talk about collecting with Chad. That'll be fun. Okay, well, I guess we'll we'll pencil that in to bring you on when we do that. I guess you probably own a lot of the expensive cards in the game. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Right. I mean, Ch- Chad does too, but yeah, I, I mean, I own quite a few of them. <laughs> but you know what you don't own? Not yet. That's that King of Tyrus. That's true. So, I don't have a KOT yet. There is always that chase card that you need, just that next one. As soon as you get the one, the scattered, the lawless, you need that next one the next year, That's which true. is fantastic about these promos that every year the cards are always good enough to make you want them. So we'll go ahead and end the conversation. Thank you, John, for coming on and you know talking for hours about nationals and your experience there and, and some of the uh, – giving us some insight into design aspects of these other – bits of news that have come out so, absolutely john it's always a pleasure getting on with you i'm gonna save all my best stuff for you know jay and i on thoughts from portland but i'm always happy anytime that uh, you reach out to to hop on and share some stuff with you as well since you men- mentioned it right there i'll just say that technically we could be rivals and we could you know we could we could start a turf war over over listeners and viewership but I also like the fact that we're like kind of unified on it. Like I'm really interested to listen to your podcast. I think you're still interested in what's going on here. You're, you you want to be on every now and then. 
I think that's pretty cool. Instead, it's like we're unified, even though we're kind of filling the same space. And I think that's just a again a testament to who we are and the community that that we're we're serving. So absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for joining, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. All right. Thank you for listening. This has been episode number 14 of the Threshing Floor podcast. I want to thank John for coming on and sitting down and talking with us. Obviously, we didn't get to talk about his new podcast project, Thoughts from Portland with him and Jay Chambers. But make sure you check that out as he releases new episodes. I think the schedule is for him to release the next episode next Sunday. So make sure you're on the look for that. And also, a reminder to get in your Lackey Grand Prix games. Obviously, pairings for week two are going to be delayed a few days. So you've got a few extra days to get those games in. And want to appreciate you for listening as always. And we'll talk to you next week. Peace.